Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the main on end to my portals, Steve. We're here. Welcome back. I you you, you changed that. Wow, that is just like that is that that is a pretty perfect entrance right there. I wanted to give you your <laughs> I, due. I know you're a fan of main on end on the soundtrack. It is by far amazing. I love it. So thank you for that. That's the that that's one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. Well, well oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'll call you Mo from now on. <laughs> oh, geez. That just, no, don't do that. <laughs> this week, we are tackling the fourth movie in the Avengers series and the 22nd in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers Endgame. Oh. Wow. I know. On this show, we will be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. The comic book Movie Planet Pantheon is comprised of seven and only seven films. In order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us. And they are number one, Deadpool. Number two, Avengers Infinity War. Number three, Iron Man. Number four, The Dark Knight. Number five, Batman Begins. Number six, Black Panther. And number seven, Dr. Stephen Strange. Oh, Dr. Strange. It's been fun having you here, but I have a feeling, well, your time is limited. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say, it's, it's funny how you say his time is limited. <laughs> because it's uh, limited in this movie? <laughs> well, that too. Plus, it's, it's Dr. Strange, and it's all about time. Oh, but oh, I have to say, I, was, I know, I was looking at this list, and I was just like, you know, Kudos to Doctor Strange for hanging on there until the very, very end. That's got to be something to be said about that movie. And you know what? You've ranked that one really high before. And a Winter Soldier the other day. I was oh. listening to that podcast. And love Winter Soldier. The fact that the fact that you just still like speak so highly of that as a as such a great movie. I I feel like I want to rewatch that one. You should. It's amazing. And, really and after watching Endgame, you'll see a lot of stuff in Winter Soldier. <laughs> I probably will. I'm I, I'm definitely intrigued. Now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its butt from the preserve in the future. So we will discuss the movie. And in an hour or so, well, and in two hours or so, hell, maybe three really? hours or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2019's Avengers Endgame, you're the only person that didn't see it. <laughs> it's best if you stop right here, watch, and I'm talking to you, Caitlin. It's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we've finished that business, let's get down to business. This week, we are discussing 2019's Avengers Endgame, a movie made... For $356 million. Damn. <laughs> that is that the most expensive one that has been made? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. That brought in $2.798 billion worldwide. Over $1 billion in the opening weekend, Steve. Uh, it, Never uh, been uh, done I, before. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. I just can't. It broke so many records. It was like every single day this was out, a new record was broken. I wonder if the people who made this, Kevin Feige and everybody, if they even knew it was going to be that big. Well, here you got to figure this. It's an Avengers movie. It's the sequel to Infinity War. So you're guaranteed 
the two billion mark at that point, I think. You because you've you've been waiting twenty two movies. The seven hundred ninety eight million dollars after that, that's rewatching. I don't know, but one billion in an opening weekend. This. Do you remember uh, though how how smart they were with the marketing with this? For two weeks beforehand, they were putting a stuff out there. No spoilers. No spoilers. Don't spoil this for anybody. Don't spoil. They were really hitting the idea of don't spoil anything for two weeks. And people didn't spoil anything. The public did a good job. But no, you're right. They actually did a very good job as like the actors and everybody else who was involved in this film. They would go on to social media and they like would create like a trending hashtag. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was, but no, they did a very good job with that. And yeah, you're right. I think people respected this movie enough to make sure not to spoil it because it's got some spoilers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, the best part was the trailers. If you remember the trailers didn't have any footage beyond when they time travel. Yeah. I think the only thing, well, star Wars, take notes. (laughs) Yeah, really. I remember one of their trailers was, just scenes from all of the other movies. I think that was after it came out, though. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're okay. right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah, but so it's like they didn't even need to cut a trailer. They just used old footage. But the best part was, I guess that could have been a trailer for the movie also, just nobody knew it was. Written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Brilliant writers. Produced by Kevin Feige, the architect, the genius. And directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. My namesakes, yes. love, love to know you. And Steve, I gave you the last one here. Music by a little guy named Alan Silvestri. I don't know what to say. He, this, he has done such an amazing job, and he does not get given the credit that he's due for previous films. Hopefully, when we go over our awards, he mm-hmm. gets what's coming to him. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> And I feel it's only proper to do these introductions for the starring roles with the proper gravitas. Hey, Silvestri, drop me a fat beat to beat my buddy's ass to. Starring the original six Avengers, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, and Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton. The supporting Avengers, Don Cheadle as James Rhodes, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, Tom Holland as Peter Parker, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne. The Asgardians, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Rene Russo as Frigga, Taika Waititi as Korg. The Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt as Peter Quill, Bradley Cooper as Rocket, Tom Clementine as Nebula, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer, Vin Diesel as the voice of Groot, and Karen Gillan as Nebula. The Wakandans, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, Danai Guerrera as Okoye, Letitia Wright as Shuri, Winston Duke as Mabaku, and Angela Bassett as Ramonda. 
the Dark Arts team, Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Stephen Strange, Benedict Wong as Wong, Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One. Ross Marquand as the voice of Red Skull, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Alexandra Rabe as Morgan Stark, Emma Furman as Cassie Lang, William Hurt as Thaddeus Ross, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, Linda Cardellini as Laura Barton, Maximiliano Hernandez as Jasper Sitwell, Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow, Robert Redford as Alexander Pierce, Ty Simpkins as Harley Keener, John Slattery as Howard Stark, James Darcy as Edwin Jarvis, Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May Parker, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill, Jacob Batalon as Ned, and John Favreau as Happy Hogan. And Thanos' crew, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, Karen Gillan again as Nebula, Tom Von Lawler as Ebony Maw, Michael James Shaw as Corvus Glaive, Terry Notary as Cull Obsidian, and Carrie Coon as Proxima Midnight. And of course, Josh Brolin as Thanos. And Matthew Barry from ESPN's Fantasy Football Crew as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And of course, Stan Lee in his final cameo ever as the hippie in the car in the 70s. But now let's get into the making of this movie courtesy of Wikipedia and IMDb and everything else I can find out there. And I'm going to warn you all right now, this is a long one. If you remember when we did Infinity War, we kind of skirted away from it because they made Infinity War and Endgame at the exact same time. So we're going to fit in all of that information now into this making of. So let's get into the making of this movie. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. Since their early films, Marvel Studios had been planting the seeds for an Avengers film that adapted Jim Starlin's 1991 Infinity Gauntlet comic arc by introducing the powerful Infinity Stones as MacGuffins, the Space Stone as the Tesseract in Captain America, the first Avenger, the Mind Stone inside Loki's Scepter in Marvel's The Avengers, the Reality Stone as the Aether in Thor The Dark World, the Power Stone within the Orb in Guardians of the Galaxy, and the Time Stone within the Eye of Agamotto in Doctor Strange. Additionally, the Infinity Gauntlet, a glove designed to house the stones, was introduced in Thor. A different Infinity Gauntlet is briefly seen in Avengers Age of Ultron in the possession of the villain Thanos, who covets the stones in the comics. The first gauntlet was subsequently revealed to be a fake in Thor Ragnarok. Many fans expected Thanos to be the antagonist of the second Avengers film after making a brief appearance at the end of the first. However, Joss Whedon, the writer and director of the first two Avengers films, explained that, quote, Thanos is more powerful. He is so powerful, he is not someone you can just try to punch out. Like in the comics, you want him to be threading through the universe and to save the big finale for the big finale. End quote. While all non-Avengers films in the MCU were considered set up for this storyline, laying much of the groundwork, producer and pre president of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, said that Black Panther, in particular, would be a very important link to the Avengers sequels in Phase 3 of the MCU, as was Thor Ragnarok. 
In July of 2014, Kevin Feige stated that there were some notions to where Marvel would want to take a third Avengers film and that the sequel was aiming for three years between Avengers Age of Ultron in 2015 and a sequel. Then, in October of the same year, Marvel announced a two-part sequel to Age of Ultron, titled Avengers Infinity War. Part 1 was scheduled to be released on May 4th of 2018, and Part 2 was scheduled for May 3rd, 2019, with the two films filming back-to-back. Then, in January of 2015, Joss Whedon stated that it was very doubtful that he would be involved with the two Infinity War films. By April of 2015, Anthony and Joe Russo had reached a deal to direct both parts of Avengers Infinity War after directing Captain America The Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. Whedon cited the series' increasing scale as to why he chose not to return, explaining, quote, Every movie I have ever made has been an ensemble piece of increasingly enormous proportions. That many balls in the air, it's only going to get bigger with Infinity War. I'm not going to be able to give it what I would need to, end quote. At the end of the month, Chris Evans, who portrays Captain America in the MCU, revealed that filming was now scheduled to begin in late 2016, over nine months, lasting until August or September of 2017, after previously being scheduled to begin in late 2015. By May of 2015, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely had signed on to also return from the Captain America films, writing the screenplays for both parts of the film. Anthony Russo described the two Avengers sequels as, quote, the culmination of everything that has happened in the MCU since Iron Man was released in 2008, bringing an end to certain things and in some ways the beginning of certain things, end quote. When it came to the writing of this movie, Marcus and McFeely began work on the scripts during the filming of Civil War, when they would go to the office, read comic books, write down ideas, put everything on a wall, and just go, These are all the characters we could have, Marcus added. We sent in literally 60 pages of unrelated ideas, just like, here's some stuff that could happen in this insane movie. Then we came back from Atlanta, and everyone had a copy of that document, and they'd circle this, this is cool, this is insane, this is cool, we're not allowed to do that, and from there, we pieced it together very slowly, end quote. Then in January of 2016, the duo had finally begun work on the screenplay for the first film. And by July of 2016, they were working on the third draft of Infinity War and the second for its sequel, with Marcus stating much like how they were planned to be filmed, quote, on any given day, you're only working on one, but that doesn't mean that next week you aren't working on the other one, end quote. By October of 2016, Thor Ragnarok screenwriter Eric Pearson was flown from Ragnarok set in Australia to Atlanta to assist Marcus and McFeely, who were cramming for time. Pearson felt the pair were comfortable allowing him to work on one film while they focused on the other given his previous Marvel work, including alongside them on the television series Agent Carter. The Russos and Marcus and McFeely worked with all of the directors and writers of the other Phase 3 films to keep continuity, talking weekly. Doctor Strange director Scott Derrickson was kept in the loop on how the Avengers films use Strange through his close relationships with Feige and Joe Russo. Derrickson discussed the plot of both Avengers films with Joe and gave notes on them. James Gunn, director and writer of the Guardians films and executive producer on these Avengers films, stated that he worked with the Russos, Marvel, and Feige in order to ensure that the Guardians of the Galaxy tone in reference to characters and their humor was respected. Gunn helped write one of the funnier scenes from the movie and also chose the rubber band man by the Spinners as their opening song. 
Some of the biggest rewrites to the script involved Thor, since Marcus and McFeely originally intended him to be the straight man to the Guardians. His scenes had to be revamped after Hemsworth explained the funnier direction the character went in Thor Ragnarok. That film's director, Taika Waititi, was brought in to consult with Marcus and McFeely on the new tone of Thor's character, while Pearson's involvement aided in keeping this continuity. Joe Russo felt the audience would not be disappointed in the number of characters in the film, saying that like 67 characters who were previously introduced in the MCU had been placed out on a board for consideration. Characters are ultimately chosen based on the personal preferences of the creative team, as long as the choices were organic and relevant to the overall story, and included some characters Joe considered to be unexpected choices, such as some who made smaller appearances previously in the MCU and are really getting fleshed out now. Because of the number of characters, McFeely called writing Civil War a walk in the park. He noted that characters who had not yet been cast were also in the scripts. Joe Russo explained that they intended to focus on a handful of characters and build the story around their emotional arcs, with many of the other characters having ancillary roles. He also said that the number of characters in Civil War prepared the brothers to deal with probably triple the amount of characters in Infinity War, and that the characters given main focus would shift between the two films. Gunn said that the Guardians of the Galaxy's films and the roles in the films would not be the biggest part of the film, but would be integral due to their connection to Thanos. The Russos wanted a strong through line from the Winter Soldier to Civil War and into the two films saying, quote, we look at Civil War as setting the stage for Infinity War, how it starts and what condition everyone's in, end quote. He described the concept of the films as the Marvel Universe uniting to battle the greatest threat to the world and universe that you've ever seen with the brothers wanting to approach the cosmic elements in Infinity War with the same fervor that they gave to the more grounded films, Winter Soldier and Civil War. Though they were unable to depict the film with naturalism given their science fiction content, they did want their films to have a psychological realism. Anthony added that Infinity War would deal with the themes of fate and destiny and the essence of what it means to be a hero. Feige said the films would explore whether the visions the Avengers had in Age of Ultron were predictions of the future or just projections of their fears. Anthony described the tone of the films as unique, given how they were melding the tones of all the individual MCU franchises, and it was important for the brothers that both films were tonally different from each other as well, with different storylines and structures. In June of 2016, composer Alan Silvestri was revealed to be returning from the Avengers to score both films. In October, Feige announced that filming would begin in January of 2017. Theoretical physicist Clifford Johnson consulted on the films, having previously done so on the second season of Agent Carter and Thor Ragnarok. Production designer Charles Wood also noted the films would be introducing many, many, many new worlds outside of Earth and others previously established in prior films. Jeremy Renner, Elizabeth Olsen, and Dave Bautista noted that the actors appearing in the films had not received scripts before the start of shooting, with Bautista specifically stating on January 22, 2017, that he had not received a script despite beginning his filming the very next day. No actor in Infinity War had the entire script, though some who were in the film, more than others, had access to additional scenes. Additionally, fake and redacted scenes were used to help protect the secrecy surrounding the film. Joe Russo felt that Endgame was his and his brother's best work for Marvel, noting, quote, 
I think we've grown with every movie that we've made there. We've grown with the characters. We've grown with the cast. As filmmakers, we're very happy and very excited with the movie. End quote. He also added that because the majority of the film was made before Infinity War released and the audience was able to respond to it, the fourth Avengers film was, quote, really pure, without any sort of external noise creeping into the story at all, end quote. Steve, do you remember, and I'm sure you do, seeing this for the first time? What did you think? Uh, it wasn't bad. <laughs> uh, I was a part of the one billion dollar opening weekend. Nice. Uh, this was a movie, and it very rarely happens. I made sure my tickets were bought weeks in advance, <laughs> so that I made sure I had the best seats. And it was absolutely funny because I remember when the wife and I walk into this theater. The theater's just packed, right. you know, and the, we, we got there. I don't even think the trailers had even started yet because I wanted to make sure, you know, we got there and I wanted to see anything that knew that was coming out. And then there's two spots available <laughs> in the most perfect spot ever. So, like, the stars were aligning here, and it was just perfect. Just for roped this, off. <laughs> yes, for this lifetime event. What do you – do you remember seeing it? I remember the first time, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and sixth time, Steve. <laughs> didn't you see it twice in the very first day i saw it no i saw it once the first day and twice the second day and okay. then twice the third day <laughs> uh when you see it that many times in a row you really don't remember each individual one i do remember the initial time and the feeling of community that that theater had for certain moments because normally i absolutely hate when people clap in movies but this was so earned, I couldn't believe. I couldn't blame them. Yeah, usually when like people are like hysterically laughing or the whole clapping thing, and yeah, I kind of roll my eyes and kind of go with it. Yeah. But no, this was this was a whole like a, this is a lifetime event. Yep. Uh, well, it's time to start walking through this movie with a synopsis courtesy of the Marvel Wiki page, IMDb, and Wikipedia. <sighs> Cue the clip. All right, we have a plan. Six stones, three teams, one shot. Five years ago, we lost. All of us. We lost friends. We lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. Today we have a chance to take it all back. You know your teams, you know your missions. Get the stones, get them back. One round trip each, no mistakes, no do-overs. Most of us are going somewhere we know. That doesn't mean we should know what to expect. Be careful, look out for each other. This is the fight of our lives, and we're gonna win. Whatever it takes. Good luck. He's pretty good, that. Right? All right. You heard the man. Stroke those keys, Jolly Green. Tractor's engaged. You promised to bring that back in one piece, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'll do my best. This promises go. That was pretty lame. See you in a minute. 
Clint Barton, still under house arrest due to the Sokovia Accords, trains his daughter Lila in archery at his homestead. Under his tutelage, she scores a bullseye, and he congratulates her on her efforts. Nearby, Laura prepares a picnic with their two sons, Nathaniel and Cooper, and they're playing catch. Clint turns his attention away from Lila for a moment to respond to his wife, but when he returns that attention back to her, she is gone. Surprised and visibly startled, he calls out to his other family members, but they too have vanished. Victims of the snap. This tone <laughs> picks up right where we left off with Infinity War, but mm-hmm. it's even it's even worse. Yes, because I think some people might have forgotten about Hawkeye, and then you see somebody who's spending time with their family. You know, everything that a lot of people can relate to. And now we see this happy family just disappear. Which is, family's a big theme in this movie. It is a big theme. Uh, And this was just like another swift kick in the gut when we were already down. Yeah, it was a cold open because there was no music. There was no intro, nothing. Heck, many people didn't even know the movie started (laughs) until they saw Hawkeye. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people thought this was just a trailer at the beginning. I remember that. The end of this scene, I was sitting next to a girl who needed a swift kick to the mouth because she was narrating the entire scene to her. She was so excited and she was just like, oh my gosh, this is great. Oh my gosh, it's Hawkeye. Oh my God. Oh, this is so good. You're going to love this part. This is really, really good. And all of a sudden he disappears and she goes, wait, no, what? Why would you? And she yells it like this. Why would you start the movie like this? And I looked at her and go. What's going on the was this going on the first time? That the you, first time. That they, oh, gosh. I'm sorry. And I looked at her and I said, are you going to do this the entire damn movie? And I got some claps. <laughs> <laughs> she was quiet the rest of the movie until, of course, the end. Great music for the Marvel logo. I, th- th- it was odd because you were at such a low emotionally. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like. 70s. It <laughs> we, it, the. the we moved on. And I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> even the rock and roll songs in this are perfectly picked. Three weeks after the snap, Tony Stark and Nebula are adrift in space aboard the Benatar. Nearly depleted of supplies, Stark uses the helmet from the Iron Man armor, the Mark L, to chronicle their possible final days with the hope that the helmet will be recovered by Pepper Potts before falling asleep. Nebula, having developed an unlikely friendship with Stark during their journey, places him in the pilot seat and retreats to the corridors of the ship. Tony's sleep is disturbed by the arrival of Captain Marvel, who carries the ship back to the new Avengers facility on Earth. Stark is reunited with Potts and the remaining Avengers who survived, including Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, James Rhodes, and Bruce Banner. Stark tells Rogers that he lost Peter Parker upon seeing him. Rocket Raccoon sees Nebula alone and realizes that all his friends are also gone, and the two sit together and hold hands in silent grief. Oh. Tony and Nebula playing paper, because I don't even know if that's like paper. It didn't look like paper. <laughs> it was a little goofy. But I guess I've come to kind of expect this goofiness. It is two characters, though, one of which who's never told a joke in her entire life, but one who's basically everything he says is a joke. It's the in-between. It is. It's a, it was a total mood change from what we just saw. Let the roller coaster of emotions begin. Yeah, I think after what they've been through, they probably had a few moments of levity like this just to break up the sadness for a while. I mean, it's kind of like laughing at a funeral. Well, I mean, they are in quarantine. Yes, really. they are. So it's like, 
they got to, they have to do something or else they're just going to drive themselves insane and space you know madness can just that, that that's a whole thing in itself space madness exactly <laughs> tony's yeah tony's last words to pepper were absolutely heart-wrenching what oh, did you think they're yeah they they cut you to your core uh you realize this is not just going to be your typical Avengers movie right at this moment because you're like, wow, they're really getting you in the feels already. It, like, this uh, feels yeah. like a scene you would see at the end of a movie, not the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And, you know, I remember seeing, I don't know if this was part of the trailer. It was. A lot of people, yeah, I, I mean, at least for me, I don't. I can't speak for everybody else, but I, everybody thought that, at least I did, that this was like the end of the movie. Right, right. <laughs> With how the how it was presented, and all of a sudden, wait, this is like we're like ten minutes in. <laughs> oh, this is different. Okay. And then Captain Marvel shows up. Yes. And it was really neat to see the mixing of heroes back, and I love watching that. It's just fun to watch. What did you think? Okay, so in Infinity War, or not Infinity War, in Captain Marvel. Uh, at the end of that movie, there was a post-credit scene, and it was a scene where Captain Marvel shows up at Avengers headquarters while they're trying to figure out the pager. And she asked them, where's Fury? Remember that? Yes. Okay, so I shit all over that because I was like, listen, that's not in this movie. It's a, it's a Star Wars moment. You put something in a trailer that's not in the, in the movie. Uh, but now I'm thinking that that scene actually may have happened in between both movies because... They, when eventually Steve Rogers says, we've been sending out uh, people out into the universe to try to figure out what's going on. Perhaps after that moment, they sent Captain Marvel out saying, can you please find whomever's left? And so okay. I think that scene works now. It's just a shame that it's at the end of a movie beyond the credits. And I feel like uh, you, this may be something you may have added in at the beginning of this movie at some point. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this is I, the first time. We, oh, I'm sorry. You were going to say? No, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, this is the first time Steve and Tony have seen each other since Civil War. Uh, we got to remember, they never shared a scene in Infinity War. No. When he says, I lost the kid. It's such a great line delivery. And you can tell at that point, Tony is like, he's got all these feelings amongst him, including the fact that he's still got beef with Rogers, but he lost the kid. Yeah, and, he kind of put like his beef aside just because that was so emotional to him yeah and then the look on pepper's face when she sees tony i mean this is why they've spent so much money and time casting the right people they had to get the right actors and actresses just for this movie alone yeah when they both saw each other i mean if you think about it you know what thanos had to do yeah is he snapped and 50 percent of all life vanished mm-hmm. the odds of your significant other surviving is 50 50 that's a it's a coin flip you know so <laughs> when they see each other and then they're like oh my gosh you survived it's it, it's huge and yeah. i think they're the bigger expression is on gwyneth paltrow's face but i did have a, a little beef with this scene oh and it wasn't the interaction with the actors it's how captain marvel arrives oh so okay at the very beginning you see cap cleaning himself up he's getting rid of the beard Yes, he's going back to his roots. And then you see, like, the mirror shaking, and then you see, like, the whole facility is starting to shake because there's a ship coming in. Yes. But I thought that ship was not working anymore. So when Captain Marvel flies down, mm -hmm. does she make all that noise herself? 
because the ship isn't running. She's pulling the ship. So why is like the entire infrastructure and ground just shaking? It just seemed a little weird. And then as soon as she clicks off, yeah, all of that goes away. Maybe. Oh, I didn't notice that, but maybe I thought of it, it was, as kind of like really maybe. Weird. A, I thought maybe at one point they had the ship flying in with Captain Marvel flying the ship, and that made the sound. And then in while they were editing, they were like, well, how about we have her fly in? And she's she's flying the ship itself in on her shoulders. And they just kind of neglected the fact that maybe they were like, well, the, the vibration comes from it coming into the atmosphere, I guess. I don't know. You'd have to take another look, but I think that might be an audio flub. An audio flub, or maybe the Russos have found a way to retroactively excuse it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I mean, I still forgive them if that's the case. Yep. <laughs> but I, the second time I noticed that, it was like, mm, it's a little weird. And also the music, when he is on the Benatar and he is falling asleep, it's eerie and it's somber and it is not the last time we're going to hear that theme, Steve. I absolutely love the fact that you're bringing up Alan Silvestri's work already. Because, yes, I when I saw this just recently... The music was hitting me, and I was like, "Oh gosh, here we go!" Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> it was it's, it's it's brilliant. It's perfectly paired. Now, inside the facility, Rogers asks Stark if he has any clues as to where Thanos may be. Tony then erupts into a furious tirade stemming from unresolved issues between the two over the course of the events of Ultron and their civil war. Stark continues, "If they had stood together, they may have been able to defeat Thanos." After this outburst, he faints exhausted and emaciated from his trip through space. Stark is given a sedative that will put him out for a while, giving him time to heal. Okay, Steve, let's start our civil war. Go. Uh, <laughs> Stark, well, I mean, Tony's been through a lot. I think everybody has. The dude and almost died. <laughs> he did. You know, he got lucky the fact that, you know, Stephen Strange, you know, he, his life was spared. You know, mm -hmm. just because Stephen Strange gave him the stone. So he's still a stubborn grudge holder and still blames Cap for everything. Right. I guess still rightfully so. Yeah. They haven't seen each other and they've always still. I think Cap is forgiven. I don't know if I'll say forgiven, it's but easier it's, for, try, it's, it's trying to move on. I think it's but, easier for Cap to forgive because he was the one holding the information. But it still seems that Tony can just still do no wrong and it's still always somebody else's fault that it was captain america's fault though i guess what i'm trying to say is that even though tony tried to defeat thanos and didn't and he failed yeah he still doesn't think that he failed he still puts the blame elsewhere well he does say we lost we i mean he's including himself into that he's just, uh, what he hates is the fact that the team was broken to begin with because of captain america's lie so, okay so you're saying we lost because of him Okay, you're you're tying two events together that at the moment weren't relevant. They were already separated. This would be like blaming yes. mom and dad after a divorce for the fight that started the divorce 20 years earlier. The fact is they were on separate plates. And they because of that, if you remember, at the end of that movie, he was going to call Cap. Yes. So I mean for for me, I think the scene is justified. I the last time they saw each other was Civil War and Again, he was he was going to call him before the children of Thanos interrupted them. Then he lost the phone and headed to space. So for me, he's still holding on to that because I think this takes place like maybe a year or two after Civil War. So it makes sense that they haven't talked because it hasn't really gone down. There hasn't been anything that has involved these two characters at all. Uh, yeah, I guess I have to look at the timeline. <laughs> the I mean, timeline and then to Cap see when this... Cap preached all about being a team, and then he used a massive lie of omission against Tony 
to save his other friend, Bucky. Uh... If this was forgiven right away, it takes away from the impact of Civil War. I mean, they're together. They still won't get along based on that lie. I think if they had just been like, hey, let bygones be bygones, let's move on. Neither one knows what the other one went through during Infinity War. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It makes the scene a lot more powerful. And uh, it just, to me at the time, it just made him still so like, okay. I guess I... Wasn't a hundred percent sure on the timeline. Yeah. And when you say it's still it's less than a year out, I can maybe that that still makes sense. It still feels like it's fresh. It does but feel I mean, really at, fresh. At, at, the, at the same time, I should I'd be stupid to think that this was ten years out. <laughs> but also, <laughs> you know? I hate to go back on and to JC's argument, but it was his mom. It was mother. Yeah. I mean, how quickly do you forgive that? No, I don't think think you really ever. Yeah. Go ahead, say your last thing here. <laughs> Oh, well, that was other. So I think it's funny. I think it's just Cap is again. He's just focused on the mission. He's talking with Tony and he's just like, okay, can we just like get over this and, you know, be done with this little beef that we have? We need to get to the mission. The mission, the mission, the mission, the mission. Here we go again. Why is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? We haven't seen him function outside of having a mission. Is that a bad thing? It makes him one dimensional. It makes him. That's the only thing he knows how to do. That's exactly his character, though. That's all he is known to do. So I kind of want to see him to be able to do something different. Okay, so are you saying if you were one of these Avengers, you would want him to be a little bit more relaxed? Or would you be like, listen, I'm glad this guy is in the room right now. At least someone's focused. (laughs) Well, it's kind of a, I don't want a double-edged sword there. It's like, you don't want him to be, you want him to be understanding. Well, don't we see that in about 20 minutes in this movie? Well, that's that's 20 minutes later. We're not well, that no, that no, far no, yet. no, no, because you asked where he is. Where's this person? Once the mission's over, this is actually who he is. But unfortunately, he's always on mission because there's no Avengers movie called Avengers Vacation in Jersey. <laughs> it's Avengers. It's happening. We need leadership. <laughs> There's always something wrong in his eyes, and he always has to have something. Is he ever wrong? Well, he lied to Tony, so yeah. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about (laughs) about being on the mission. Is he ever wrong about something? There's always something wrong. He's trying to do good, so no, I guess there's nothing wrong, but it's just, dude, relax. (laughs) You don't. (laughs) I... Okay, because when I read your thing, I thought it was he's sick and tired of being focused on a mission. Like, you, at this point, I saw it as he just wants to rest at this point. He's, got a, he's at a point now where he swears twice within 15 minutes. Like, he, he's just fucking done with this at this point. And he's now lost twice. He's never lost before. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've been a soccer coach. You, you yeah, know it's like I, when you're I, winning I all your games and all of a sudden you lose one. That's a hard loss to get over. Yeah, it's I, I shouldn't say it's blindsiding, but it's it's really a, a kick in the gut and you just kind of got to regroup to see with yourself. And so, no, yeah, it's losing's never good. So, yeah, when you've been winning your entire life and then all of a sudden you lose, it's it's hard. It, it's it's difficult to come through. So anyways, return to the topic of trying to find Thanos. Danvers wants to go after him right away. Another person who's all on the mission. However, the rest of the team is not so easily convinced of the idea. 
let's see, Rogers tells her they don't even know where he is, but Danvers says she knows some people who may. Nebula says there is no need because she knows where Thanos is, referencing the garden that Thanos had planned to retreat to after achieving his goal of the snap. Based on her information, Rocket pulls up a 3D diagram of its location and states that when Thanos used the stones on Earth, it let out a large burst of energy. The same signature, he states, appeared two days ago on a different planet. Captain Marvel's cockiness is in full effect here. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) I still feel like at this point in the movie... I still feel like I don't know enough about her to really trust her. Okay. Even though she's already had a movie beforehand. We have been through multiple yeah. movies with these characters. And then the new girl, as Rhodey would say, <laughs> just kind of comes in and takes the lead. So she's just very headstrong. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. hasn't changed from the, and she hasn't really changed since the beginning of Captain Marvel. See, I, lo- I think we talked about that last time is that her character arc was eh, small or almost insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It w- there was no arc in that. <laughs> but being that Captain Marvel has more tread on the tires, if you will, when it comes to galactic travel and the time that she's been doing this. I mean, she's been doing this since 1995. She's been doing it longer than these guys have been doing it combined, I think. I don't blame her for taking the lead here. And honestly, I don't have a problem with it because I love how they've integrated the quote unquote, as you said, new girl into the mix with these guys. Rhodey, what a great line. Hey, listen, new girl, we're all about that superhero life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be a part of the team, let's throw you into a mission right away and show off what you can do from the get go. This is the Captain Marvel that I wanted to see in Captain Marvel. Yeah, I think there's only maybe... Three people I could think off the top of my head has been doing this just as long, if not longer, than Captain Marvel, and that would be Thor. And Fury? Well, Th- Fury's not in the room. I know. He's not in these movies. But uh, I want to say Rhodey, because he's a general. He's a military guy. And he's he, he's a little bit – he's older. So I got to think that he's been doing this longer than she has, which is why I think it's unique that he's the one that speaks up and says something. Well, and, yeah. And Cap, you know? He's okay, but Cap had a 70-year span where he was frozen. <laughs> he, he, he did, but I mean, I would think that his timeline of what he was able to do was is almost just as, lo- is just as long between when he was, before he was frozen and then after he was frozen. Well, I'm trying to think. You know? it wasn't, I'm trying to think. Captain America First Avenger, didn't that span one year? It could have. I think it spanned uh, one year. So you figure the one year added on to 2012 when he showed, no, not 2012, 2010, or no, 2011, 2011 when he shows up. So you're looking at 12 years versus 25. You know, I know you said in the previous podcast, we're math people. We are math people. We do love our maths. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else in the scene uh, stick out? Thor being silent is just scary. (laughs) He, He actually reminded me of myself and, my wife has pointed this out multiple times that when you're angry, is that when I'm angry and pissed, yeah. I tend to go really quiet. Okay. All right. And I think that's what Thor is doing. He's just sitting there muddling in his thoughts, <laughs> trying to figure out what the next step would be and just listening. He's at a very, very, he's a very active listener and he's pissed and him saying very, very few. And this is a God and everything that he's done. And it's just kind of scary, eerie. Yeah. He's just, not doing anything what did you think you know rocket says it best which is you know he, he's been he's been like this since he lost all of asgard basically <laughs> yeah i think i would be also you get a line from captain marvel there's a lot of other planets in this universe and unfortunately they didn't have you guys 
What a smart line to explain where she's been. Yes. And then when they decide to go on this mission, Thor gets up and reaches out, grabs a Stormbreaker. I like this one. You know, yeah, if, Thor, if Thor accepts just... her, then everybody should accept her. <laughs> yeah, her confidence is just through the roof. She gives that little smirk after a while. I was like, ah, oh, I'm starting to love Captain Marvel right now. <laughs> yeah, she's not backing down yeah. at all. And then we get Mission Cap, if you will. Let's go get this son of a bitch. Language! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets... I think, like you said earlier, he's just sick and tired of... He just wants to kind of finally win and then the main title appears yep <laughs> and i'm like let's go <laughs> yes <laughs> let's get this party started <laughs> and i'm sitting there going i don't need a title right now i know where i'm at let's keep going <laughs> uh with this new information the team of avengers set out to confront thanos and retrieve the infinity stones in hopes of bringing half the universe's population back leaving stark behind they all get aboard the Benatar and plot a course through the Universal Neural Trans- Teleportation Network to Titan 2. That's a mouthful. Finally tracking the signal to Thanos' farm in the garden, Danvers then first heads, heads onto the planet to do recon, only to find that the planet is undefended and Thanos is alone and unguarded. He has no armada, no ships, and no god, no guards. <laughs> Another great purpose to Captain Marvel. She's already an important piece of this puzzle for the team. Yeah. At first when I saw it, I was surprised that Thanos was just there by himself. But then as I'm thinking about it, he did everything that he wanted to do. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happens to him afterwards. Speaking of, in his simple hut, Thanos goes about his daily routine. However, he is visibly crippled with horrific burns on the left side of his body, presumably from use of the Infinity Stones. Danvers suddenly bursts into the house, surprising Thanos and quickly pins him down with assistance from Rhodes and Banner, after which... Thor severs Thanos' left arm and gauntlet completely off with Stormbreaker. To the Avengers' surprise and dismay, Thanos' gauntlet does not contain any of the Infinity Stones. Hey, look. It's Purple Shrek. Stop it! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. You could not have just watched that scene and kind of thought about that. I really didn't, because it's Thanos! (laughs) Uh, Captain Marvel comes in like a boss! (laughs) Yeah. Blow the hole in his hut. <laughs> yeah, she does that a couple times. Oh, Her my God. Her are starting to grow on me. Yeah. And then Thor just coming out and chopping off Thanos' arm. It's a very in-your-face brutal scene all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, all of this could have been taken care of earlier instead of <laughs> going for the chest. Upon interrogation, Thanos explains that the stones would offer nothing but a temptation should he keep them. He explains that after completing his goal, the stones had served their purpose, and thus he used their energies to reduce them to atoms, so that what he could, so that what he could do, what he could, what he did could never be reversed. The Avengers accuse him of lying, to which Nebula responds that while his father is many things, he is not a liar. Thanos thanks his adoptive daughter for believing him. Enraged, Thor decapitates Thanos, killing the Mad Titan. When Rocket asks what he has done, Thor replies that this time he went for the head referencing Thanos' scornful remark on his failure to defeat him in the Infinity War. The Avengers then depart Titan II, having realized that there is nothing they can do to bring everybody back. I used the stones to destroy the stones. That's a twist. (laughs) That's why he's so good. He's got to 
just got a masterful plan from beginning to end. And it was just this elaborate plan that he knew he wanted to execute. And he did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the crazy part is the bad guy won. You know, it's funny when people ask, well, what would ever happen if the bad guy won in all these movies? We always think, oh, they just go on this power thing of just, you know, destroying everything in their universes of wherever they are. Thanos just goes, I, I won. I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to go grow some crops. <laughs> yeah. He Relax. did what he set out to do. And then, yeah, there's nothing left for him to do. I am inevitable. Oh. It's got to be up there in one of the top 100 quotes yes. of all time. Unfortunately, it's usurped later on by a, I think, less than line, but it is line. So what, yes. else sticks, what else sticks out here? Thor is just absolutely relentless, and it's scary. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a god, and when you piss him off, we've seen him pissed off before, but I think nothing along this no he's he's mentally messed up and pissed which is a dangerous combination for somebody who can absolutely do anything <laughs> and then when this happens i'm like thanos is dead 20 <laughs> minutes into the movie <laughs> and as soon as this happened i remember all of our conversations prior to this movie because we would talk at length about what would happen in movies when they come out I remember we talked at length about this, <laughs> that this could happen. I'm just like, now what? Right, right. When he dies in 20 minutes, I was like, oh my gosh, Thanos is not going to be the villain in this movie. What a turn. That's like saying, I'm making a sequel to Harry Potter. And everybody's like, why? And you go, don't worry, Voldemort won't be the villain. Okay, now I'm in because now the universe is open. I have no idea where you're going to go with this now. And uh, uh, Disney, calling Disney. That's a decapitation. You're not supposed yeah. to like those. <laughs> and that's not the only time you see it in this movie. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is no holds barred. Yeah. If you missed it the first time, don't worry. There'll be a holographic version later. <laughs> yeah. And if, I mean, they're, they're, they're poster boy. They're pretty boy is now cursing. Yes. It, yes, he is. It's This is vicious. Uh, five years later. Earth's remaining population has attempted to persevere against catastrophic losses. The scope of the losses has traumatized the world and has stagnated much of their progress. Rogers now participates in and or runs a support group for citizens of New York City who are trying to cope with surviving the snap and their losses. Tony is revealed to be living in a simple cabin with Pepper and their young daughter Morgan, now feeling a sense of peace despite the weight of what happened five years earlier. Ooh, when those words show up on the screen five years later... I will never forget the gasps when they showed up on the screen. Yeah, when I watched it the second time, it goes to black, and you can count the number of seconds before anything pops up on screen. Oh, yeah. And it shows up super, super slow. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa. Yeah, it says five first, then it says years, and that's when people started gasping later. And people were like, yeah. we aren't resolving this? <laughs> <laughs> Again, people are pissed that the bad guy won. Yeah. But this scene, I guess, is kind of what would happen. And I think in, in, in terms of Cap running his AA meetings, it's uh, actually perfect for him. Yeah. It's perfect for him and his persona. What did you think? Well, fun little fact, the guy who shares his story in the in the support group meeting is one of the Russo brothers. And the bald guy in the meeting who asks him about the date is apparently the original creator of Thanos, Jim Starlin. You got it. There's so many things in this movie that's just absolutely insane. Marvel just knows how to pay <laughs> shit off. <laughs> and listen, hey, for those of you out there in the audience who are wondering what Cap looks like without a mission, 
Well, turns out he's like everybody else, human. But he's still a natural leader, and that is why he's awesome. He's more than his serum. Yes, I'll give you that. I agree. In a you-store-it self-storage facility in San Francisco, a rat accidentally activates the quantum tunnel in Louise's van. Finally, after five years, pulling Scott Lang out of the quantum realm after he was trapped there at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Disoriented and confused, Lang, who believes he was only gone for five hours, wanders a post-snap San Francisco. Realizing something terrible must have happened, he comes across the Wall of the Vanished, a memorial site for listing the names of those lost in the snap. He frantically scans the names, hoping that he doesn't find his daughters. Relief gives way to bewilderment, as he doesn't find her name, but instead his own name. Arriving at Cassie's home, he is shocked when he is greeted by his daughter, now a teenager, and the two reunite in a tearful, joyful reunion and hug. After realizing that Hope Van Dyne, Hank Pym, and Janet Van Dyne were among the vanished, Lang travels to the new Avengers facility in New York with Louise's van. That rat is the MVP of this entire movie. Yeah, the first time I saw it and the second time, I didn't even notice it. And I was really perplexed on how... Wait, you didn't notice it the second time? No, I didn't. When you watched it last night, you didn't see that? Well, I got a confession to make. Here we go. Uh, I kind of did like a greatest hits of the rewatch. <laughs> I hope they remember you. So I, I was picking bits and pieces of parts that I kind of wanted to watch and kind of to talk about. And unfortunately, this wasn't one of them. I kind of wish that it was now. I, I just never noticed it. And I was just like, is this just pure luck? Is it a MacGuffin on how he just comes out? I mean, because I don't Not think he had any kind of well time. I didn't know anything about the stinking rat. <laughs> and it's just kind of a theme on the movie planet podcast where the other guy Reality can be <laughs> so i just I, I i i was really thrown for a loop i was like how the heck did he get out but apparently it's just some rat that just crawled across yes it just happenstance yeah i guess it's, okay and here's the thing i can understand why people would call this oh what a coincidence he gets out uh, just just when everybody's at their worst. Well, it also took five freaking years to get to that yeah. point. Like, you can't call that coincidence or it's just a plot device because if it happened right afterwards, then you've got a point. But a lot of time has passed and people have not moved on. I mean, if this happened 15 years, 20 years down the line, you still can't call that a coincidence because it's like, listen... Coincidence means that it happens at the right time. There is no right time for this to happen. <laughs> it's almost like the right time was extended for five years. And yeah, you can't call that. You can't call that a coincidence. Yeah. Ken Jeong as the storage facility guard. Uh, another actor from the TV show Community that shows up in the Russo Brothers movies. <laughs> you're plugging that. You're plugging that show, aren't you? It's a fantastic show, Steve. <laughs> Abed. Well, uh, the. Uh, the guy who plays Abed, he was in uh, Winter Soldier, and uh, Donald Glover was in Spider-Man Homecoming, and uh, we're going to get two other members from Community in this movie. So we got this one, and we'll get somebody later on. So what do you think about that you... memorial? <laughs> well, that's what I was just going to say. Well, first off, when before it pans and goes to the U-Haul, you see, I saw, they say San Francisco or San Fran. I'm just like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, man, San Francisco. <laughs> There's something got to be here. So I was, it was really interesting to see to go right to him right off the bat. Yeah. And then when he kind of figured everything out and he goes to that memorial stand, I was like, this is intense. Mm -hmm. I got the feeling it was like 
looking at like the 9-11 memorial in New York. Oh, it is yeah. It's very just intense. Or even the, Vietnam, even the Vietnam Memorial. Yes. I mean, it's just yes. eerie and solemn. And you have to imagine there's one of these in every big city. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool visual also that not only have people moved on, but they've actually ere- erected things in memory, which builds that universe to be more real anyway. And bringing everything into light that, and again, that's something I liked how the MCU has done is that everything that's happened, it's in public eye. Yes. Nothing's hidden like Batman. Batman. <laughs> oh, that was creepy. But uh, <laughs> so I, I, I do like the fact that everybody knows who these superheroes are and what they do. So mm-hmm. that was really cool to kind of see them recognize this. At the new Avengers facility, Romanoff, and now the leader of the Avengers, is concluding a meeting with Nebula, Okoye, Danvers, Rocket, and Rhodes regarding the continued repercussions of the snap throughout the universe. Following the dismissal, Rhodes remains behind to give a status update regarding his former teammate and her friend, Clint Barton, who has become a vigilante. Rhodes suspects Barton is responsible for the deaths of multiple Mexican cartel members, which upsets Romanoff. Despite his apprehension, Romanoff pleads with Rhodes to continue tracking Barton. Rogers enters the room, and the two console each other, admitting that while they're now devoted their lives to helping others move on from what happened, neither of them ever can. The gloomy mood is interrupted when Scott Lang arrives on the compound. While initially skeptical, the two realize that Lang is indeed alive and welcome him into the facility. And upon arrival, he is greeted by Romanoff and Rogers, his idol, and the three begin discussing the means of his survival where Lang explains his own experience in the quantum realm and how they might use it to undo the events of the snap. The trio, with limited knowledge about the quantum realm and time travel, then seek out Stark. Steve, every female in this scene is a badass in their own right. I don't think Marvel has a lack of female problem. <laughs> no, they, they have their own. It's almost like they're protecting their own realm. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, you got Nebula. She's just a kick-ass fighter. Even at her worst, she's a kick-ass fighter. Okoye, who is Darth Maul, like, reincarnate as a badass. You got now what we've seen Captain Marvel can do. And Black Widow running the show. I love the banter between Captain Marvel and Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to her what fur are you face. Do? Get another haircut. <laughs> Listen to her fur face. <laughs> uh, the effect that Barton's escapades have on Romanoff—it's just—it's another great moment for an original Avenger to watch them dealing with that. That they were all a family, and now you have this one wayward part of the family who's just breaking your heart. Yeah, and. To me, I had a problem with this scene because I thought it was the slowest scene part of the whole entire movie. Because Black Widow needs this to show how important the team was to her. I mean, the team is both her strength and her weakness. And it's also the last moment of slow pace because once Scott shows up, it starts to amp back up again. But you need this you need this moment, I think this is like 43 minutes into the movie, where it's just kind of like, Everybody is still mourning what happened. And that gives gravity to Infinity War. And more importantly, it's black. This is not Black Widow with a bunch of other people crying. She's by herself. The camera's just on her. And it's this is the effect it's having on what used we used to think as the coldest Avenger, but clearly has a really big heart. Yeah. This one's visibly shaking her. Yeah. Uh, just as much as anybody else. 
we also, Steve, I think we can talk about this now because it was kind of one of those things that we weren't supposed to talk about, but they mentioned an anomaly, an earthquake <laughs> that happens underwater, Steve. And yes. uh, at the time, a lot of people speculated, oh, this could be Namor, but they don't own Namor. But now it's been confirmed, Steve, that they were planting a seed. <laughs> when I when I figured that when I when I heard this get released within the last week or so, I was just absolutely floored. I was like, as soon as I read that, I opened up the movie and went right to this scene, and I was just like, oh, how cool! And it it, it we handle it already, by not handling it <laughs> exactly, and that's what Marvel has done in the past, and they did that with Thanos. They mm-hmm. put validity on a character without even putting him on screen. Yes. Uh, so you were already intimidated by this person, by this character, and they didn't even mention any names or put him on screen. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we're going time travel here, Steve. Uh, if that's the leap of faith I have to take, then I will do it. Now, how? Now my question is, how are they going to do things differently than every other time travel movie? Well, and they talk about every other time travel movie in this <laughs> in this movie. Yes, <laughs> they do. Uh, and I think it's great because they 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 treated this whole time travel thing like we would be thinking about it. Like really, <laughs> especially Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to later. But yeah, it's just this was the Scott when he's talking about this and he's all fidgety and he starts talking about. Does anybody know anything about quantum? physics or something like that i was just like pretty sure you're probably the only one i mean cap in there he's he, he's cap is a very linear black and white character yes when you start talking about anything super smart with him he, he's kind of turns a little dumb it's true <laughs> true that is not his that is not his strength his strength is once no, i have all the details i'll make the mission we'll go it was just a goofy on edge scott lang and then this is the reason why i loved him in ant-man not much so in Ant-Man and the Wasp because yep. he wasn't the main guy in that. Right. But yeah, it, the, the scene was slow and then boom, the van shows up. Yeah. It was just like, it was a quick change in pace. It's like, okay, we kind of, okay, we can move on. Okay. Scott's here. Holy crap. We're not expecting that. So it was fun to see him all of a sudden show up. That was a surprise to me. I wasn't okay. expecting that. Yeah. Uh, at his lakeside home, Stark is enjoying quality time with his daughter with Rogers when Rogers, Natasha, and Lang arrive. Stark immediately understands the nature of their visit but obliges their inquiry. When Lang proposes the idea of a, quote, time heist, Stark quickly criticizes the idea, fearing that altering the past could erase their very existence as it stands. Stark just wants to put the past behind him and tells them he's finished with the Avengers. I really like that not just Thanos, but Tony has moved on and has a daughter, Morgan, which is something he foresaw in Infinity War. And that kid is damn cute. (laughs) I totally get why Tony is hesitant to do anything. He really did luck out on Pepper surviving. Oh, yeah. Put a lot of things in perspective with him because he. There was things that survived and there's things that he lost. Peter Parker. Oh, and he just cherish he really cherishes everything that has survived and is still with him so Mm -hmm. i totally relate to him yeah and you know this also shows that time does heal a lot of wounds feelings of anger and whatnot and it's why tony is much more relaxed here than he was five years ago i mean he even calls rogers cap still 
I mean, respect is starting to come back a little bit here. And every argument Tony has against time travel is what experts have thrown at movies in the past. So the Russos, you know, you have to rewrite how we think of time travel now. So what's your plan, boys? Yeah, it, time travel is always, it's tricky because when you think of time travel, I immediately think of Back to the Future. Right. That's where because I go. That's every, that's, that's the staple of how time travel works. You go back and change the past, it changes the future. So yes. I, I, again, I don't blame him for not wanting to do that because he doesn't want to ruin what he has now. Yeah, and, and Tony's got a point. He can't risk it. You know, he's already risked it once. Why would he do it twice? Not wanting to give up, Rogers, Romanoff, and Lang leave and meet with Bruce Banner at a diner. After the snap and both Hulk's and Banner's defeats at the hands of Thanos, Banner restarted his research into gamma radiation and used it to morph his body to have the appearance and strength of the Hulk while retaining the intelligence and control of Banner. Despite his meager knowledge of quantum physics, claiming it was, quote, outside of my expertise, end quote, Banner agrees to help him experiment with the idea. Mellow Hulk is funny. He's just a big green hippie. <laughs> I think out of all of these, he's the most relaxed out of any of the original after what is everything has happened. Everybody's like mentally defeated and sad. Yeah. He's the light of it all. <laughs> you know, he kind of, you're right. He is. He's kind of, he's taken over the role of Hawkeye in this and that he's now the heart of the, of the group. Yeah. It's also interesting that, you know, everybody handled this crisis differently and what he did is he just, he was, he had his own crisis, which was him versus himself. He had to rectify that before anything else. And when he finally did, and there's no wars to happen, and there's nothing to fight anymore, explains why he can just be chill out. Yeah, I finally gave him the, him to concentrate on himself, which yeah. maybe that's what everybody should have done. Hulk out. Dab. Uh-oh. At, at, yeah. Dated joke, Steve. Dated joke. At, at, <laughs> yeah. Less than a year. It's already gone. Yes. <laughs> oh, and we also get Ant-Man wanting to take a picture. <laughs> yeah, and that, and then they're sitting down eating. Take the goddamn phone. Like, <laughs> that's funny. That's that's the Marvel humor, but it didn't feel forced on you. No. But no. the one thing I did note, it, and this is super, super minor, is when they're sitting down eating, he has like an entire <laughs> table full of huge <laughs> amounts of food. And it makes sense. He's a bigger guy. His metabolism, in, in order to keep up his energy, is right. a lot greater. But he's got, like, a huge bowl of, like, breakfast sausages and eggs. <laughs> oh, you want some? Here, try the eggs. You know, <laughs> he's, he's got enough to go around. While Tony is washing dishes, he accidentally gets a picture of his dad wet. Then coming across a picture of himself and Peter Parker. Being reminded of how he lost him on Titan all those years back, he uses Friday to simulate models for time travel in the quantum realm. Despite expecting and hoping not to fail, he succeeds just before giving up using an inverted Mobius strip model. After doing so, he discusses with Pepper the morality of time travel and about what he should do with his latest discovery, whether he should lock it up in a box and throw it into the bottom of a lake, or whether he should take it to the remaining Avengers. He feels that he and Pepper were lucky and they were both spared and now have become an amazing life together. But he can't deny that everyone around them has suffered unimaginable horrors and should be helped. Pepper asks Tony if he could live with his conscience if he kept the secret to himself, and this seems to convince him to return to the Avengers. Oh, Steve, Tony has issues with that spray nozzle in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just <laughs> supposed to show that she is not meant for everyday ordinary life. <laughs> this is something Jarvis you'd do, okay? <laughs> yeah, and even, and even in the deleted scene with him and Pepper in the kitchen, 
He still doesn't know his way around the kitchen. No, no. And you know what? There's a framed picture of him and Peter in the kitchen. That's got to be hard to look at every damn day. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a unique spot to put that. But I, he has his dad and then Peter Parker. So those are two people that he really loves. Why not have a picture of, like, his family? <laughs> yeah, where's his mom? Yeah, his mom. Thought she was important here. <laughs> Or a family photo? Why couldn't that be there? I guess. The look on Stark's face when he discovers time travel is hysterical. But even better, right afterwards, he says shit, and then you hear a little shit right behind him. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) She goes, what are you doing? She goes, I'm trying to figure out some shit. And she gives this look like, what? (laughs) And, you know, when when I saw this a second time, this did bring back a, oh, moment even for myself, because there were probably, I, there was a time when I accidentally set it underneath my mouth. And then my son, who's just almost going to be three <laughs> says it too. And I'm just like, Oh no. <laughs> so I totally get how he felt. <laughs> they have their, then he, t- he tucks his daughter back in bed and she says, I love you 3000. And just the conversation they have at the bed I mean, you could tell Tony and his relationship with his daughter is it's so realistic. You would almost think that that was actually RDJ's daughter. Yeah. I don't think that I love you 3000 doesn't become meaningful until the very end of the movie. Yes. Yeah. It's just kind of thrown as a, a, a their thing of I love you. But when you get it at, at the end and we talk about this later, it uh, that's when the waterworks come. That's when all the emotion comes behind it. And they were and, smart. They were smart because they didn't just say it and then leave it alone. He has yes. to bring it up in the room next door saying, she loves me 3000. You, you came in around the 700, 800 range. Yeah. <laughs> I want to tell my son one of these days <laughs> when he's being, when he's not going to bed and he's doing his whole thing and he can understand it a little bit better. Go to bed or I'm going to sell all your toys. <laughs> I was laughing so hard because I get it. I get it. It it was just so funny. But even so, I mean, even the daughter is smiling when she hears it because she just knows this is my dad. He's goofy like this. Yeah. Pepper and Tony wouldn't, I I think Pepper and Tony wouldn't work without the previous movies that have built this relationship from boss and assistant to Pepper knowing Tony so well that she's okay with him pursuing this. Most couples would not allow this, but she knows after 22 movies how this is going to haunt him. Because, I mean, Iron Man 3 showed how he is when he is haunted. Yeah, this, the scene on the couch where they're kind of talking about it and what he could, the two options that he gives and what he can do mm-hmm. is very emotionally heavy again because deep down she knows and he knows and the audience knows that he would be tormented for life if he just ignored all of this. Yes. And that's a very, very heavy concept to think about. At the new Avengers facility, Banner, Rogers, and Romanoff run in an experiment with time travel by trying to send Lang back in time. Instead of sending him through time, they send time through him. He turns into a child, an old man, and finally a baby before they manage to restore him to normal. Rogers leaves the room, contemplating outside of the building about what to do next. Stark arrives to extend his helping hand and asks if the whole team is getting back together. Rogers told him they're still working on gathering everyone who's available. Tony tells Rogers that he's agreeing to help on the condition that trying to reverse what Thanos did won't reset what has happened since, as he doesn't want to lose his daughter. Rogers agrees that's how it should be. The two men finally put aside their differences, and Stark returns Rogers' shield. All right. 
Now everything picks up. We've had 43 minutes of deserved mourning. Yeah, here we go. Cap, Cap has his mission. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, Hulk working the quantum tunnel is f***ing funny. <laughs> Why am I pants wet? I can't tell if it was baby me or older me. Time travel. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. But even when they're like, you know, I don't want to get him stuck in the 1950s. And they're like, don't mess with him that way. And Black Widow looks at Hulk and goes, that one really happened. He goes, I don't know. Nobody knows. This is all theoretical. Let's go, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Scott for being the guinea pig on something that's just so incredible in its own right yes and then you know tony shows up and they kind of do this bury the hatchet moment when tony hands him the shield that's kind of like okay now we're in this together yeah tony shows up tony coming in hot tony shows up oh yes and the look that cap gives of just rolling his eyes Really? Yeah, that's funny because that's just that's how he shows up on every time he drives a car. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, he gives him the shield and says, let's not do this to anybody. I didn't bring one for everybody else. But he also <laughs> says, I had to get this out of the garage. Otherwise, Morgan was going to sl- sled on it. <laughs> oh, I, and again, I could totally see the kid doing that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the world's best sled. Nebula and Rocket arrive in the Benatar, and Rhodes flies in with his suit. Scott, eating outside, sees his taco destroyed in the wind from the Benatar's landing. Banner and Rocket travel to New Asgard in Tonesburg, Norway, which is now home to the few Asgardians who are left, but not before Banner offers Scott a new taco. They meet Valkyrie, who now works on the fishing docks, who tells them Thor is not doing well. Thor is revealed to be depressed following his failures. He has gained considerable weight, becoming an alcoholic, and spends much of his time playing Fortnite with Korg and Meek. Although Thor tries to put on a carefree attitude, he nearly breaks down upon Thanos' name being mentioned by Banner. When it seems as if an appeal to emotion will not work on Thor, Banner and Rocket convince Thor to come with them by promising him beer. Uh... This isn't how we like to see our heroes, but we have to remember they haven't had to be heroes for five years. And this is kind of what happens. Complacency. Yeah. And I think that's something to be said with everything that's kind of going on now. Now we're getting used to a new norm and that's exactly what they had to do. Yeah. They've completely changed. Uh, The soundtrack beyond Sylvester's score is perfectly chosen and placed so well. Yeah. It's kind of a... I don't want to say like a goofy. It's like a 60s a, hippie folk song kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. It's a folk song. Perfect. That's perfectly placed. Yeah. yeah. It's a folk song. And I love that Hulk's weight is making the truck spark from the bottom. <laughs> I saw that the second time and I was just like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> okay, Steve, I got a few questions now. I thought all of Asgard was destroyed. Who are these people? They're washed up fishermen looking for work and need a place to live after work. It's the start of a civilization, just like a game, right? <laughs> Yes, and Thor is officially the Lebowski. Yeah, he's the dude, or <laughs> El Dudorino, and you're into that whole brevity thing. Okay, so <laughs> I heard a rumor that when they're playing Fortnite, Noob Master 69 is actually Deadpool. I can't disprove it. <laughs> I feel like this has to be something unique again they're pointing something out and giving it screen time and you actually see the tv and somebody extremely wise told me that whenever you see a tv being displayed on in a movie it's something important (laughs) 
So I'm looking it up right now just to see if Andy's him out. Marvel Studios is reportedly considering methods to introduce Ryan Reynolds Deadpool into the MCU. And somebody mentioned, hey, introduce him playing Fortnite under the username Noobmaster69. They this never said good. no. <laughs> that would be amazing. It would be. <laughs> it's a huge Easter egg secret. And in this scene, I love Cork. Yes. I mean, it's a damn shame that we don't see him enough. Even just a little bit more. This is the best thing YTT has ever done in the MCU. Hey, Steve, your favorite weapon, Stormbreaker, is nothing more than a bottle opener now. It's a multifunctioning tool. It's still better than the gauntlet. What? The gauntlet's a multifunction tool? Can For both tear who... down civilizations and build them back up, according to Odin. We haven't seen it open a bottle of beer. <laughs> and that's really and you know a true test of a weapon. <laughs> It can do anything and everything. You want a weapon that can do anything. Anything you think of, you want it to be able to do. For those of you who are confused by this, listen to the Infinity War podcast. It's amazing. Uh, It's five years later. Thor is still dealing with his guilt. That might be a problem later on. Thor's physicality is exactly what happens when you eat and drink your feelings away. This is a new character facing some serious PTSD. Yeah, we and saw a shadow really of it, it in Iron Man 3, and now we're seeing it from a Thor standpoint. Yeah, and you really see it when Hulk mentions Thanos' name. And a switch is turned in Thor from the goofy, happy to see you, to depressed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, beautifully done. Looks like melted ice cream. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, God, yes. That's terrible. Meanwhile, in Tokyo, Barton attacks a group of Japanese Yakuza members and dispatches them one by one, including their boss, Akiko. Romanoff watches the scene, approaches Barton in an attempt to bring him back to the Avengers. At first, Barton wants nothing to do with the plan, but after some convincing by Romanoff, Barton returns to the Avengers headquarters with her. While Barton turned in his bow for a sword, and uh, Steve, I think I like him with a bow better. I do too. But I like how he's using multiple weapons in his repertoire. Okay, yeah. I like the sword usage. But I got a question for you. Yes. Isn't he referred? I don't know if he's referred to in this movie, but I thought his character—he changed his character's name. Did they call? Is it Ronan? It, yeah, Hawkeye in the comics becomes Ronan, and this is what he would look like in the comics. Okay. I mean, he—he he basically he goes into hiding, turns into Ronan, and this is kind of like the same idea. They just never call him Ronan. Don't look now, everybody out there, but you literally just witnessed what all of the original six members have been up to since killing Thanos. This is setting up all their fates later on. Tony has retreated to his wife and had a daughter. Steve is using his moral compass and leadership to help those in need. Hulk has found a way to manage both personas by turning them into one. Natasha is working to try to keep everything together since it's the only family she has. Clint has become a mercenary trying to kill the evil in the world, haunted. And Thor has been so depressed he's become a shell of who he was. Setting up these six is what this movie is going to be all about because they are a family. Imagine what would, how different this movie would be if, let's say, that two of them vanished from the snap. It'd be tough. It would, it, it would be completely and utterly different. Yeah, it would be very, it would be completely different. And uh, when they did the snap, they did uh, goof around with the idea of snapping out the original six originally. So that would have been an interesting take. Yeah. 
Uh, <clears throat> at the Avengers facility, Banner and Stark have completed the construction of their own quantum tunnel and advanced tech suits and are preparing for test runs. Rhodes argues the suggestion of traveling back in time to kill baby Thanos, to which Banner explains that altering events in the past will not alter the present, but will instead create an alternate universe, leaving the only feasible course of action of acquiring the Infinity Stones to restore everyone in the present time. Ugh. Believing himself to be expendable, Barton volunteers for the first time travel test and is transported to a time period on his farm before the snap. With disbelief and hope, he calls out to his daughter, but is brought back to the present before she sees him. Uh, we get Rhodey and Lang questioning Hulk about time travel, which is how they explain how it will work in the movie. Your past becomes your future. The present is now the past. Everything that happened, happened. You can't change the future by changing the past. So why go back then? Well, we'll find that out when he talks with the ancient one. <laughs> I, I was going to say, when I was reading this, I this is where I spent a lot of my time rewatching, and it was this scene. And there's always that one scene in these movies that's just extremely important. It explains pretty much the entire reasoning of what's going on in the film. Yes. And if you think of time as being linear, as moving in a straight line. Yes. I think that's the only way you can really understand how this time travel thing works. And again, that's explained when Hulk talks to the H talks to the ancient one. Either way, it's just, it was as confusing as hell. And I was stopping and rewinding this 10 second clip about eight to 10 times to hear it and pause it and stop it and hear it again. It's either way. It's confusing as hell. I think the conceit that they're giving here is if we can't change the future, then is does that mean that everybody who was snapped out of existence, when they snap back into existence, nothing has changed. It's just they are entering the world five years later. And I think that's the conceit is they're not changing the action that causes things. They're yes. going to add an action to the future by taking away things from the past. Which I think, again, we talked about how they have, they've they got to rewrite how they do time travel in this movie. And they've found an original way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And again, I think you have to think it's it's got to be linear. I think if you change something in the past, that new presence is that that present that you came from is the past. Mm -hmm. And that it created a new timeline in the future. Again, it talks about it with the ancient one. But uh, Paul Rudd. Yes. It's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But he might be jumping my list of favorite heroes really? of all time. Yes, I absolutely love him. I love his demeanor, and I love him as the actual Ant-Man, as the hero himself. But I love his persona. You <laughs> know I, what's funny I, is everybody else, we can point to great moments when they're in costume. But when we talk about Ant-Man, we talk about the great moments he's not in costume. <laughs> yeah. And when they're throwing out when Rhodey and... Um, Ant Man are throwing all those movies out. Hot Tub Time does a Machine, great job. Ty Terminator, yeah. Back to the Future. What does Rudd say? He says Die Hard. <laughs> and I, I was like, really, I was trying to look for the joke within that, but I'm like, that's not even close. Yeah, but and they mentioned like, Back uh, to the Future twice in this movie. Yeah, he mentions Hot Tub Time Machine, Quantum Leap, yep, and then Die Hard. <laughs> 
With the test proven to be a success, the Avengers proceed with the next phase of preparation, which is to determine the location of each Infinity Stone in the past. This presents a challenge, as they possess a scarce supply of Pym particles to operate with, and no means of replenishing because Hank Pym perished in the snap. They only have enough for one round trip each. I'd say this is an important plot point, since they'll blow one of their chances and need more Pym particles. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Scott does do that. <laughs> yep, adds another half hour to the movie. <laughs> As the team discusses their past encounters with the Infinity Stones, they manage to recall the placement of each Infinity Stone in time. Fortunately, Natasha realized the time, space, and Mind Stones were all present in 2012 New York City, in relatively close proximity with each other, following the Battle of New York. However, the other three stones were only accessible to them in different places and times, with the Reality Stone being present on Asgard in 2013 and the Soul and Power Stones being present in 2014 on Vormir and Morag, respectively. With their targets located, the Avengers split into three separate teams, Thor and Rocket to Asgard, Nebula and War Machine to Morag, Romanoff and Barton to Vormir, and Rogers, Stark and Banner and Lang to New York. Oh, okay. Everybody's on a mission. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about Thor's explanation of the reality stone? <laughs> this is Thor the Dark World Cliff Notes style. Yes, and it's exactly how those of us that hated on Thor the Dark World would explain it to others. <laughs> it, yeah, it's exactly right. And I just, I, I love when they, I don't know who says this is, all right, Thor, you want to explain the uh, the ether? And it pans over and it has him just sitting there. I think he's like, dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Hemsworth delivery on this whole entire scene for as long as it is, what, a couple minutes? Yeah. It's just is is one of my favorite parts in the entire film. This is What I, did you think? I'm curious to see whether or not how much of this was Hemsworth improvis- improvising. I yeah, they probably just said, Okay, we need you to kind of talk about Thor of the Dark World. Go. Yeah. No thanks, I'll have a Bloody Mary. <laughs> uh, and it, this is a great scene because they're all having like a study session together. And what is Hulk doing? He's eating the Ben and Jerry's ice cream that's named after him. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Hulk a Hulk a burning fudge. <laughs> like those are the little things, the details nobody notices. But when you watch it five, six, seven times in a row, you go, oh, there's something new. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what Yeah, I noticed that the second time. All right, so we're heading to New York 2012, okay? Now, right beforehand, Black Widow has another great line. See you in a minute. She says that right before they go, and I'm like, oh. oh. She got that sly smile on her face like, this will be fun. Oh, okay, okay, I see what you mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's also the last thing she says to everybody. I mean, that's, that's her final line to the Avengers. See you in a minute. <laughs> oh, that's just... That's heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> okay, New York 2012, New York City. The team of Banner, Lang, Rogers, and Stark review their mission objectives and disperse. Uh, when you first saw this and it said New York 2012, how excited were you? <laughs> this heist is the, and I think it's perfect for this final movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the greatest hits of the MCU so far. Yes. It's exactly how I took of it. It's like they took all the movies. These are the greatest hits. I completely agree. What did What did you think? I loved it because I was like, what a genius idea. We're not going to go back and just look at what they were doing back then. We're going to insert a new alternate plot point into that time and see it from different perspectives now and see how they interact with each other. I, I think this is brilliant because it's one – 
meta-wise, it's showing how far they've grown to the audience since the first movie. But also, they're, the characters are looking at themselves going, Jesus Christ, what an idiot I was. <laughs> like, they can see how much they've grown also. Yeah, especially Hulk. Yeah, it, it, it's so cool to see the Avengers, but Angry Hulk? <laughs> see, Hulk He's is so, so embarrassed. I think I said this when we did the original Avengers thing. The original Avengers Hulk was the closest at that point we had seen to the Incredible Hulk Hulk when it came to the anger issues. And now you can really see the difference between what they are. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Banner heads over to the New York Sanctum where he encounters the Ancient One who explains to Banner that Doctor Strange is not yet the Sorcerer Supreme. Banner tries to persuade her to give him the Time Stone, but his initial attempt fails because the Ancient One doesn't knock Hulk out of the Hulk. She knocks Bruce out of the Hulk. (laughs) Yeah, he knocks all the smarts out of him. (laughs) Which I thought was such a cool shot because I was like, oh, she's going to knock somebody out. And when you see it's Bruce, I'm like, it makes sense. They're two different personalities. Yes. Now we go to Asgard, 2013. Thor and Rocket, having been able to uh, locate Jane Foster on Asgard, set out to use a device to extract the ether from her body. Thor, however, gets distracted at seeing his mother, knowing that she will die later that day, being killed by curse. He then abandons Rocket to go get some mead. Rocket gives a pep talk, and it starts with a fantastic slap across the face. (laughs) Yeah, this is really good because he's, again, I don't blame He's, Thor's going through so much right now, and now he has to revisit where his mom died. I know. Thor is really broken in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> then we go to Morag 2014. Rhodey, Nebula, Romanoff, and Clint time jump to 2014 Morag. Romanoff and Clint use the Benatar to travel to Vormir. Okay. I love that in the 2014 timeline, Thanos, Gamora, and Nebula are all searching for the stones, too. What a great twist. (laughs) Yeah, that was really neat to have. Because we find that out because our next shot is at the Sanctuary, too, when we see Nebula and Gamora appearing to be doing a training exercise. And they're called back to Thanos because Ronan the Accuser has found the location of the Power Stone. So we're kind of in the time of the Guardians of the Galaxy now. He is sharing this with Gamora and Nebula when suddenly the two Nebula's systems start interfacing with each other. Although present Nebula is unaware, the past Nebula broadcasts her future self's visual feed. Thanos suspects something and asks that she's brought to his ship. Gamora and Nebula clearly know that Thanos getting the stones is dangerous. You can already tell there's a conflict already of interest. Yeah, I completely agree. I got that as well. And we Um, also, Thanos makes his entrance, Steve. Dude, he... Welcome, Your second, Excellency. <laughs> it is like the second best entrance. It's very, very similar to Thor and the Bifrost, but Thor's entrances over the course of his movies are just... They're just awesome. And he's got a wicked weapon. <laughs> this is like the first time you've seen him wield a weapon. Yes. Right? <laughs> Dude, it's just... Walks in fully armored up with a big-ass two-bladed blade. <laughs> It, I, I, when I first saw that, I was like, holy crap, that's a huge weapon. And it's actually similar, mm-hmm. the same, to the knife that he gives Gamora. Yes, it is. Yeah. Now we're going back to New York 2012. 
Meanwhile, Stark and Lang infiltrate Stark Tower in the aftermath of the Battle of New York. After watching Loki's arrest, Stark departs in the Iron Man armor, the Mark blah, 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 to the lobby area after flicking Lang to the Tesseract that S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, Hydra, are confiscating in a briefcase. How much fun do you think it, would have, it must have been for these guys to not just look at them, but also replay or extend these scenes in their original yeah. costumes? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> all right. Flick me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like when they're in the elevator, that's them now playing them back then. Yeah. I mean, and then you get Hulk. Hulk hates stairs. <laughs> Dude, this, it was so it was so funny. Like, whoa, whoa, weight limit, buddy. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, stairs. It, it's so it's so funny. And it's but it's so vital to what happens later. Uh huh. Meanwhile, a S.H.I.E.L.D. strike team comprised of undercover Hydra agents are taking Loki Scepter to Dr. List. Rogers is tasked with retrieving it. Brock Rumlow, Jasper Sitwell, Jack Rollins, and other undercover agents of Hydra are transporting the Scepter by elevator. Rogers enters the elevator, (gasps) Winter Soldier, and presents the ruse that he has been ordered to take the Scepter, drawing suspicion from Rumlow and Sitwell, who doubt that Pierce has allowed a man outside of Hydra to carry the weapon. Knowing that this will clear their suspicions, Rogers mutters, Hail Hydra, earning their trust and acquiring the scepter. Oh, Steve, the elevator scene? Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier moment. But instead, we get an even better move. He says, Hail Hydra. And I remember at the time in the comics, there was a fervor over the fact that Captain America was revealed to be a Hydra agent. This was a wink to that. Yeah, it was when all the pieces kind of came into place in there in the elevator. I was like, oh, this could be another cool scene. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. There's something to be said with the elevator scene in Winter Soldier in its own right. And when this happens, it's just it's almost as epic without the flash. Because yep. it's really neat to see Cap on everything that's happened, what he's learned and now using that knowledge against against people in the past. That's fun. That's fun to watch. I also think that there's a level of complacency on Cap's part because, again, he hasn't had anything to fight for five years either. He may not be the fighter he used to be. Yeah, he's more cognitive of his situations now, and he's. I think he's now turning into that person who's stopping and thinking about his actions before just acting on them, Yeah, what he normally would do. And, and that's what he did do in the elevator scene of Winter Soldier, because normally, yeah, he just beat the crap out of everybody. Now he's like, okay, stop and think about it. What's the easier way to, or stealthier way to do it? Before we get started, does anybody want to get off? (laughs) 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 Lang plants himself onto Stark's 2012 counterpart who is transporting the Tesseract. However, the past Avengers are confronted by Alexander Pierce, who wants to take the Tesseract from Stark. Scott causes a distraction by interfering with the 2012 version of Stark's arc reactor and sending Stark into cardiac arrest, allowing the present Stark to secure the Tesseract. However, as Stark attempts to exit the area, stairs, the 2012 version of Hulk bursts into the lobby from the stairwell, causing Stark to drop the Tesseract. And in the confusion, Loki manages to retrieve the Tesseract and uses its power to escape. There goes Loki. In an alternate universe, Loki's alive, Steve. Loki's alive, and he has the Tesseract. <laughs> I was blown away when I saw when when, when this happened because I'm like, what the? F- 
what the heck happened to Loki? <laughs> the past is now changed, which creates a new present at that time and a new future. Uh-huh. This would be such a cool story to see. And dude, Loki's back. He's back. Your boy's back. This, and I didn't even realize this until seeing it the second time, this movie birthed the multiverse. Yes, did it did. How did I not even see this? Um, we, I would love to see what happens with Loki now. Well, when you get the Loki TV series, we'll find out. Oh, I hope that's what it's about. It's supposed to be about that. Like, it's supposed to be oh. what he's been doing since he took the Tesseract. That is so cool. I love it. Uh, there's a few other things here. We get that Thor uses Mjolnir as a defibrillator. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to work. Really there's didn't. a multi-tool. <laughs> See? Thor's got some good ones. Yeah. Uh, we get... Who's that? It's ESPN's Matthew Barry in a fantasy movie. <laughs> Missed it the second and third time. How? I gotta go back the fourth time and see it. And of course, like everybody in the theater, I had to yell, God damn it, Hulk! Yeah, but now having him take the stairs is so important now. If Hulk doesn't totally, do that, Thor, uh, uh, Loki never comes back. This plan actually works. Yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> which means that if when this happened in before... They all went back. That means that they were arresting Loki and Hulk just flies out a wall and goes off on his own. Yeah. <laughs> like, how weird would that have been? Like, what the hell was that? It's Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had to take the stairs. <laughs> After getting the scepter, Rogers encounters another obstacle in the form of his 2012 counterpart, who has mistaken him for Loki in disguise. The two fight but present Rogers uses his knowledge of Bucky Barnes' status to momentarily stun his 2012 self, then managing to subdue his 2012 counterpart with the scepter. I love the moment when his 2012 part goes, I can do this all day, and he goes, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's almost like he's starting to just, it's like he's starting to realize it's how annoying he probably it's is. It's so great. It's such a great moment, just that, I know. <laughs> And then when he, he gets done beating him, he looks over him and calling back to what Ant-Man said earlier, he looks down and goes, that is America's ass. <laughs> that was weird. That was a that great was moment. <laughs> <laughs> now, fun fact, apparently the stunt doubles who did this are also brothers. So oh. you had Rogers versus Rogers and brother versus brother actually doing the stunts. Oh, that's well. They needed a, they need two identical people. That now see that's a coincidence. The, <laughs> I well, I actually think that the one brother from the present day, the one that plays the present day Captain America, requested that his other brother play it. And when the Russo said, "What a great idea! No one will know, but it'll be fantastic." They that's how they signed off on it. Yeah, that's perfect for that scene because <clears throat> they needed two of the same exact people. All right, Steve, here we go. The Ancient One educates Banner on the effects that the Infinity Stones have on reality and possible ramifications that may result from the loss of just one. Though Banner makes a compelling argument that she is not convinced until he reveals that Strange willingly relinquished it to Thanos, making her realize that Strange's actions were part of a bigger plan. The Ancient One loans Banner the Time Stone, and he promises to return it and the others once they've finished with them before departing for the Quantum Realm to rendezvous with the other Avengers. Okay, Steve, I'll let you go on this one. What do you say about the wizards guarding the stone? I believe it now. Wait, it, what? 
Yeah, I, I got something written down here, but then the more I'm just now coming. There's something coming to light, and it, I when, when you see the ancient one defending everything and how well she does it with everything that's going around, because there's a lot happening, and she's just like not even breaking a sweat and defending this thing. I'm like, maybe I can see it. <laughs> Maybe I can understand that the wizards guarding the stone, that could be a tough thing to get access to. Thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> the ancient one is like super powerful and she's just crazy. And she's and Dr. And Strange is supposed to be even more than that. Yes, Dr. Strange is meant to be the best of us. <sighs> I guess. The wizard says go away. Now, 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 real quick. I think I, I, I let me ra- let me read what you actually wrote. Get a horde of bad guys all at one time and keep them coming, command and conquer style. Done. Yeah, but then when I relook at that scene, that's exactly what happened, and it still was defended. <laughs> okay, well, okay, we'll move on from that. I will not beleaguer the point that I'm glad I made six movies ago. Okay. Uh, you, you, you get the check mark on that one. Okay. Now, this is how you fix the time travel issue, Steve. The only change is bringing everyone back. The stones create alternate timelines unless they never leave their present course. So, get a hold of them, go back to the present time, snap the fingers, bring them all back to the original places, Bob's your uncle, and you win. It's still confusing. Ugh. I mean, I get it, but it's still it's still weird. So I'll give you six movies, and you'll you'll figure it then. So it's almost like okay, you take the time stone, you do all you know, then you got to take the time stone back to where the ancient one and Ghost Hulk are talking about it, and give it back to the ancient one, and everything's okay. Yes, because as long as it never leaves its original path in time, then it'll be fine. But if they want to think about this linearly, it did leave in the past. Not the it future. did, but who, who's to say that once Thor, once once he grabs that stone, once once he takes the stone from the ancient one and he goes bouncing off buildings to wherever he's supposed to go, that behind yeah. the doorway is Captain America saying, "You lent this to us. Thank you. Here's your stone." Because remember, Cap's got to go back and send them all. Yeah, 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 but then, uh, and then it stays on its trajectory. It's still not. It, it still doesn't. Cl- it still seems weird. But well, I, think, I just got to go with it, and that's the whole time travel issue. That's I, the whole thing. I, I it's think just tough I, to grasp. I think it would have been really, really smart though to end that scene with the door opening up and Ancient One looking up, going, "Thank you for bringing it back," and you don't even see who it is. Mm. Yeah. You know, okay. Thanos has his daughter examined by Ebony Maw and sees images of his success from the future. Thanos just treats Nebula like a computer, <laughs> just nothing. <laughs> She's she really is just a hotter C three PO. Yes, uh, we get the line: "Terrans, Avengers, unruly wretches." Well, he would know he lost to them in Avengers. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Thanos has just found an easier way to acquire the stones. Even better because he basically created Nebula out of parts, which means his own creation gave him the easier way. Mad genius. (laughs) 
uh, it just seemed a little clumsy on how he got his this new plan. Pretty much what he did is he just took a shortcut. Well, and there's it, nothing there's nothing wrong with taking a shortcut. Yeah, there's just there's just something to be said about completing something by making sure you go through the entire process and not just jump to the end. Wait, uh, I feel like I should be eating my own words here. Yeah, I e. AC Odyssey. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> no, if somebody told you, as a teacher, how about this? As a teacher, if somebody said, you can teach the entire year and hope for the best when it comes to state testing. Or you can teach for half the year and we'll tell you exactly which questions are on the state test. Which one are you going to take? I don't, I don't know. And here's the thing why I, it would be much more gratifying if you went through the process, you didn't quite know what the outcome was going to be, but you knew you did the absolute best that you did. And you, and let's say you did accomplish what you went out to do. It would be a lot more gratifying. So I just want to get clear here. Your argument here is that Thanos should have waited nine years to get the stones instead of just get them right then and snap his fingers and do what he wanted to do all along. That's what you're saying? Nine years on Earth? It's nine years everywhere. Uh, We've already talked about time works differently in space. No, time works differently in quantum realm. Well, it does. We work differently there. That is considered everywhere. Now, is quantum realm, is that an Earth thing or is that... Don't change the subject. We're going back to what you said about Thanos. (laughs) I don't know. I just think this is exactly what somebody evil would do. They they would take the short. Yes, I can get the stones right now. Okay, I don't want them. Let me let me go through my journey. (laughs) In comparison, in comparison to what he did in Infinity War, it was. I feel like it was much more satisfying. Yes, because he had worked long to get it, but in this one, he sees he doesn't have to. So it's like, holy, this is great. I, they're all going like, to be in one spot. Then I'll go there. It's like using a cheat code. Yes, and it's exactly what you would do. I don't know. I don't like jumping to the end and just doing whatever. I like going yes, through the... Yes, you do. That's different. No, it's the same <laughs> damn thing. <laughs> okay, while looking for some ale, Thor is caught by Frigga, who talks to him knowing that he is... From the future, upon Rocket retrieving the reality stone and escaping his guardian guards, Rocket interrupts Thor's talk with his mother. But Thor takes the chance to reclaim Mjolnir and say one final goodbye to his mother before he and Rocket return to the present. Okay, Frigga was raised by witches. This explains why Loki's good at magic. Didn't we? Wasn't that explained in Thor: The Dark World? It was explained in a deleted scene in Thor: The Dark World. So technically, okay. the public doesn't have this knowledge. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, uh, I wasn't sure. This is a really touching moment that Thor has needed with his mother since Thor the Dark World. This is the most important part of the movie for Thor. Oh, agree. This totally totally changes him. It doesn't get him out of his PTSD or his depression, because that will never go away. Mm -hmm. But it's on the right path for him to be, to get out of, to to be better. Yes. So. And apparently the scene with Portman was apparently done for Thor the Dark World, and it was cut. So it was used here, and then they CGI'd Rocket into the frame. 
oh, that kind of sucks for Portman because she wasn't a part of the original movie or it wasn't a part of Endgame. Yeah, I, I think it was just a matter of scheduling at that point. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, when they reveal her to come back on stage, remember at that time, everybody was sitting there going, Portman never wants to do these movies ever again. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that she was still in that mindset. And then when she comes on stage to do, you know, Thor, Love and Thunder, it's this huge moment. Like, holy hell, you just stole Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be, Thor. The measure of a person, of a hero, is how well they succeed at being who they are. Frigga is bringing the heat. <laughs> That's, that she's, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, hey, remember, he had Stormbreaker, but he seems more excited to get Mjolnir. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, he's a little drunk or hungover. <laughs> Everybody knows Stormbreaker's the best weapon ever. But you need to be worthy to hold Mjolnir. And that's what he needs to know. He needs to know, is he still worthy? Is that why he stretched out his uh, Okay. Yeah. Although I love Frigga <laughs> saying, it takes a moment every now and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and please, eat a salad. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Nebula and Rhodey go inside the temple vault and watch Star-Lord dance, both remarking on what a carefree idiot, carefree idiot Quill was before knocking him out. They use his tools to break into the vault, and Nebula takes the Power Stone at the cost of her prosthetic arm being damaged. Easiest stone to acquire still. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how she grabs the stone is absolutely... It was even better better than how Quill even got it. Yeah, well, she used the iRobot way of getting the stone. I mean, it's not very original, but then still works and makes sense that her becoming more robotic actually gives her a destiny-like moment. Yeah. And, uh, Steve, I'm sorry, is it actually called the Temple of the Power Stone? Come the f*** on! (laughs) (laughs) Is that really really called that, or did Rhodey just call it that? The Temple of the... Power Stone. I'm typing it in right now. Yeah. I mean, I went back and rewatched that scene. And it's called the does... Temple Vault, also known as the Temple of the Power Stone. <laughs> yeah. I, when I, I went back and rewatched that, I was like, yeah, he does kind of say it, you know, <laughs> without air quotes, so, so to speak. But I'm like, if this is the case, and that's kind of what you're saying, who in the hell put this here? What they should do is they should use the stones to make a detour and kick him or her or whatever in their stones for doing this. This is absolutely terrible. Yes, and more importantly, if Ronan knew where it was, why did Ronan just go there and get it? Really, it was just—it's easy for him. Uh, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. That's what Ronan screwed up on. That's what Thanos says. Yep. Uh, Rhodey and Nebula—I never noticed this before—but they do share something in common. They both have prosthetics. Thank you I, for that little bit of knowledge. I I never <laughs> noticed that. I was like, that's their common link is they're both broken, basically, uh, physically. Guess. They're both bald, too. You know what? They are. <laughs> <laughs> Past Nebula swears her loyalty to her father, and Thanos decides to use her to achieve his aims quicker than he ever thought. A malfunctioning Nebula is stuck in 2014, while Rhodes travels back to the present time. Nebula is then found by the 2014 versions of Thanos and Nebula. You know, Nebula's had a really great arc through these movies. <laughs> yeah, you really see this in when they have the two Nebulas meet. Yes. Eventually. The fact that they got the old one and the new one, 
you can really see that arc. Because I guarantee there's a whole lot of people because the movies are so spaced out with where Nebula is in this whole thing that you forget about it. Yep. So it was uh, it was a good job to show that. So then we go to New York 2012. The team of Lang, Rogers, and Stark regroup as Stark and Lang admit they screwed up their mission and there's no way to find the Tesseract now. However, Tony realizes that he can find a place and time where he can retrieve not just the Tesseract, but additional Pym particles that he can use to return home. Scott is given the scepter to return to the present while Stark and Rogers travel to Camp Lehigh in 1970. I got a question. Where the hell is present-day Hulk? <laughs> Isn't he there too? Yeah, I... I guess he went back already? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, there's a lot of shorthand speech here in regards to trying to guess what's happening when and where. Why does Tony know where it is? I feel like there should have been a moment where, like, Hank Pym had talked to Tony to give him the idea that he worked with his father. Uh, this, yeah, this might be a, I don't, this <laughs> could be an issue. It's, like, I feel like that's I mean, a detail a that's missing. <laughs> that's a huge detail. Yeah. Because this is the driving force for, I mean, they failed. How does Tony they know Hank failed. Pym was working for S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I guess all those numbers, I didn't realize until I watched it the second or third time, all those numbers that they're saying at the end is the exact date that they need to go back to. Yes. Because they say 1970 1970. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, 0707-1970. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm guessing is around Tony Stark's birthday. Okay. You trust me? I do. I feel like this conversation should have gone the other way around because Tony doesn't trust Steve. It wasn't the other way around. If Steve gives you, you trust me, it means more if Tony says, I do. I agree. It, it, would, it would mean a lot more if it was switched around, but of course you trust him. It's for the mission. Yeah. If it's for the mission, he's all for it. Hey, mission ready. Yep. Okay, New Jersey. We're going to New Jersey, 1970. Rogers and Stark arrive in 1970 as Stan Lee drives by, currently posing as a hippie. Make love, not war. <laughs> Rogers and Stark split up to locate the Pym particles and find the Tesseract. Tony goes into the basement to look for the Tesseract in storage, but is slowed when he runs into his dad, Howard Stark, who is looking for Arnim Zola. The installation from Winter Soldier that housed the massive computerized version of Arnim Zola. Here it is. Winter Soldier shot. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool to see that. I, I caught it the second time when he kept calling out Zola. Yep, and then when they're in the elevator, the African-American lady is Yvette Nicole Brown, another community alum. Steve, I see what they're doing here now. The final goodbyes for the big three. Thor says goodbye to his mother, something he was never able to do. Tony says goodbye to his father, something he was never able to do. And Steve runs into his long-lost love, Peggy, one last look at the woman he fell in love with. Yeah, this is a, uh, I, gotta, I guess it's, when you think about it as a whole, it's a pretty heavy scene. But yeah. yeah, for the big three. Yeah, and as soon as you see Howard Stark, you realize this is a moment you never knew you wanted, but you're happy you got. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool when he, dude, he's running into his dad. Yeah. All, all the things that he probably wants to say. Right. <laughs> but more importantly, all the things that, like his dad is the same age as he is in this. So it's kind of like, what was he like before he had a child? And, you know, in a different perspective. Uh, 
Rogers uses a distraction phone to call, phone call to coerce Hank Pym into leaving his uh, lab while he sneaks in and grabs the Pym particles. On his way back, Rogers has to hide in an office, which turns out to be the office of Peggy Carter. He briefly reflects on what he could have had with Hart Carter and spots a photo of himself on her desk. He makes the rendezvous with Stark and returns to the present. Okay, Steve, you know, I thought the de-aging tech was good, but what they've done to Michael Douglas here is just plain amazing. Yeah, it's really cool what they do. I almost feel like with all the technology that they have, couldn't they do something with his voice, though? Because his voice oh, still like it? sounds a little aged. It just, it, I, I don't want to say I didn't like it. It's kind of rude to say you don't like the man's voice, but it's a younger guy, and you can't say that voices change as you get older. Well, have you watched you know, just, Michael Douglas movies when he looked like that? No, I have not. Yeah, because that's exactly how he sounds. Oh, I would always, I guess I took the fact that the younger that you are, your voice changes as you get older. Now, he's so. one of those guys that's always sounded like an old man. So how old is he supposed to be in this scene? In this scene, you're figuring he's probably in his, thir- you know, er- early, early 30s, early 30s. Okay. All right. That's kind of what I thought. I, they have the comic book style Ant-Man sitting in the lab. Nice. Yeah. And, Didn't uh, see it, but yeah. that's a comic book thing. That w- the one person who could pull Rogers from being always on a mission, Steve, Peggy Carter. One last look. Yeah, this is uh, I Am Creepy 3000. <laughs> How does she not see him? Because she's focused on the mission. Oh, those two are perfect for each other. Exactly! <laughs> okay, Tony as Howard Potts <laughs> gets to talk to his dad about his own birth, who was expected that very day. Stark sees his father in a new light and, now a father himself, understands what he went through raising him. He manages to indirectly thank Howard for everything while maintaining his hidden identity. This is a really reflective moment between these two men. I thought it was really, really poignant. Uh, And I love that he gives his father the advice his father gave to him. No amount of money ever bought a second of time. Great quote. Great quote. That is very good quote. And, uh... Who's that driving the car, Steve? I, I caught this the second time, and it totally makes sense. That that's Jar- that is Jarvis. That's Jarvis. <laughs> that was so cool to see. I, uh... Oh, so great. Uh, past Nebula and past Gamora beat up present Nebula until the time-traveling device in her head loosens. Past Nebula takes it from her, and present Nebula pleads with her sister, past Gamora, to stop Thanos. Past, present, past, present, past, present. Past Nebula takes the Pym particles to Thanos, who uses it to, tr- to travel forward in time and impersonate her future self. Okay, I got to admit, Steve, this is kind of a blah scene for me. Necessary to show the growth between past and present and Nebula and the conflict with Gamora, but kind of blah. Yeah, and it also explains, you know, how Thanos gets to where he gets to later in the movie. Yes, you need it, but you're kind of like, eh, I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Romanoff and Barton are greeted on Vormir by Red Skull. Once they are informed of the sacrifice they have to make, the two argue over who should make the sacrifice for the Soul Stone. Both are ready to sacrifice themselves for the other, so they both try to throw themselves off the cliff. Although Clint makes the jump, Romanoff saves him using her grappling hook like Batman and ends up hanging by his hand. She convinces him to let her go as there's no way to save her now, and she falls to her death. A devastated Barton claims the Soul Stone and returns to the present without Romanoff. I think there's a great use of light and music in this scene. I love how these two characters are both trying to sacrifice for the team, but Hawkeye's the heart of the team. 
Widow knows this. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, you know, how you say that again, the music, and it's the all it's the same exact song mm-hmm. that they used in Infinity War. Yes. During this monumental emotional scene, and it still freaking works. And here we get Hawkeye and Black Widow both saying their final goodbyes to each other. Yeah. Um the sacrifice here by Black Widow, I think, is absolutely beautiful. It's well earned. It makes her, in my eyes, the co-MVP of this movie, of the original six. This makes Widow the bravest Avenger, bar none. Bravest Avenger. (laughs) That could be a new password. Point break. (laughs) (laughs) And for those that are wondering why they had to sacrifice the only woman in of the six, I say this to you. She made the sacrifice for the team because she would do anything for her family. And that's a pretty damn good way to end your life. It's noble and it ends her arc beautifully. She, she was the mom of the team. It almost seemed like, well, I, I guess kind of sort of that thing with banner. kind of makes it creepy, (laughs) but still she kind of acted like the mom to keep everybody together and to take up where people left off. That's kind of why she kind of go over the new shield, I guess. But um, it'd be interesting to see when the new Black Widow movie comes out, if this part of her character is in that movie. And I think you and I talked about it in one of the previous podcasts about if you stripped away all their powers, who would win in a fight? And you and I agreed Black Widow would take out most of the original Avengers. Well, I think, yeah, we were left with Black Widow and Hawkeye. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was Thor. She couldn't take Thor. Because as you said, Thor's a god. Can't, you're not beating God. <laughs> but is that part of his power? Well, Mjolnir. Is, is the godlikeness his power? I guess so, because when we see Thor in the original Thor, and he's stripped of all of his stuff, he exactly. can't do sh- Although he is a formidable yeah. fight. He does fight through an entire thing of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to get to the one hammer. He does, but, you know, Black Widow can easily do that as well. Yeah. Widow is arguably the most experienced. And if I had to pick one in a hand-to-hand combat fight, I'd probably pick her. Oh, I mean, I would pick her for that, too, and with other reasons. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, The team returns to the new Avengers facility in 2023 with all six Infinity Stones. They immediately notice the absence of Romanoff, and Barton informs them of her death. The remaining Avengers take a moment by the lake to mourn her death before proceeding with their plan to use the stones. And this is how the remaining five say their goodbyes to Natasha. It's elegant. It's intimate. It's the way it should be with her. It's justified. Can you think of another Avenger up to this point who's gotten this level of goodbye? Because I can't. Well, she's the first Avenger to go. Well, I mean, of all the heroes, all the heroes, like Gamora died. She didn't get this. No, she didn't get anything along this line. Yeah. She got the very sad music scene, you know, she shows her dead, but I guess Black Widow got the same thing. Heimdall, nothing. Loki, nothing. You can't really throw villains in there. Well, when I hear, well, Loki wasn't necessarily a villain at that point. He had turned the table a little bit. He is, but in the end of it all, he still is the manipulative Loki. But <laughs> no, I mean, going back, you're, you're, you're still completely right. Nope, this is probably the most uh, somber they've given a death 
in this other than so far um, so far Frigga. Frigga oh. would be the only one you, you know what you're right Frigga's was also really well it was really well done yeah I'm proud of myself. I'm, I didn't even think about that one. Please. Okay. Stark, with help from Banner and Rocket, creates a nano gauntlet to harness the stones. And Rocket starts a debate over who should use it. Thor insists upon being the one to wield it, claiming to be the strongest. But the others argue that using the gauntlet at full power channels more power than he's capable of safely handling, both as a human and in his poor physical condition. And ultimately, Banner realizes that his physical form and relationship with gamma radiation makes him the only safe candidate to use the gauntlet. Banner puts the gauntlet on, and it causes him intense pain as the energy from the stones surges through him. While many want him to take the gauntlet off, Rogers confirms that Banner is capable of continuing, and Banner snaps his fingers seconds later. Banner suffers major damage to his right arm and shoulder, but believes he was successful in restoring the universe's population. This is proven true when Barton gets a call from his wife, Laura. Okay, Steve, cooler gauntlet, the Iron Man gauntlet or the Infinity gauntlet? I had this multi-sentence explanation of which one I picked, and then I just kept, I, I kept wrestling back and forth. I don't, I, I really don't know. I guess I'm a guy who loves originality, so if I had to pick one, I would probably pick the Infinity gauntlet. I would pick the Infinity Gauntlet also because although the Iron Man Gauntlet is kind of like one size fits all, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet was made to harness the power of the stones. The Iron Man Gauntlet didn't really know what it was messing with. They tried the be their best to make it. Yes, but they're not I from Neda Valir. <laughs> no, they're not. Steve, Hulk has a purpose. The radiation is gamma. What a great tie-in. Plus, the one person outside of Hawkeye she was closest to gets to bring everyone back, which makes her sacrifice worth it. Yes, but my question is, how does he know that it's Gamma? My guess is, while everybody else was dicking around with making this damn gauntlet in the meantime, he was probably sitting there going, I, we got the stones here, let me see what these are all about. Okay. That's my guess. Gotta... You know, okay. It's a leap of logic, if you will. Okay, so everyone's coming back having missed the past five years. Got it. So they should be the same age they left as, right? They should. Yes. Uh, and we get that confirmed in Spider-Man Far From Home later on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get a nice visual with the birds flying outside and then the cell phone ringing from Clint's wife. Yeah, What? because you, you kind of don't think that anything's happened so far. Okay, you snapped and everything's opening up and it's like, so did it work or not? Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, you get the birds flying away. It's kind of like a hope-like message. Yes. And then it really doesn't hit, and then everybody kind of feels the way. Same thing Clint feels like, oh, my God. In fact, it actually worked. Yes. Which makes you think, like, I always thought it was funny because in Infinity War, when Thanos is explaining what he can do when he gets all of the stones together and he can just do whatever he wants with just a snap of his fingers. Mm -hmm. And it's actually kind of neat how they turned a metaphor into something that literally can be done. I thought so also. And it's just like, so all you got to do is just have the mentality in your head that, okay, I know what I want to do. And I guess that's partly the mind stone. Yes. And then just snapping the fingers. And then, so I guess you can, you can make anything happen with the snappy thing. I just, I thought it was really cool how they took a metaphor and made it literal. Well, reality can be whatever I want. 
Moments later, the 2014 version of Nebula activates the quantum tunnel to allow passage for Thanos' Sanctuary 2, which carries an armada. Thanos opens fire on the facility, destroying the buildings. In the aftermath of the attack in the rubble, the Avengers are separated. Barton, who's deep in the rubble, comes across the Iron Man gauntlet with the stones still in place. While grabbing it, he notices that he's not alone. Thanos' outriders chase Barton to acquire the gauntlet. Whoa! Uh, that blast came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you notice that Ant-Man, when he flies back, he turns, he shrinks right away? Uh, I did. Yeah, I did kind of see that. That was kind of a really neat thing that he did. What did you think? I thought it was cool because I was like, this is how you minimize damage to yourself as you make yourself smaller. Yeah. They should all be dead, Steve. <laughs> it, re- it reminds me of the believability that they, that of Winter Soldier, of like buildings falling down on top of people. Or Spider-Man Homecoming. Remember that one? Yeah, again. <laughs> like, how are they all massive, still alive? <laughs> yeah, a lot of massive destruction and people are still alive. 2014 Nebula returns to her father, who charges her with retrieving the stones while he waits for the Avengers. Thanos is such a boss. He's going to sit down, bring him to me. What are you going to do? Yeah. I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah, that, that is really cool. <laughs> Back on board the Sanctuary 2, Gamora asks the future Nebula what happened between them. Nebula admits that she was determined to kill Gamora more than once, but the two eventually formed a bond as sisters and became friends. Gamora, who always had reservations about her commitment to Thanos, finally turns on him and frees present Nebula. Thor, Rogers, and Stark confront Thanos head-on, but he defeats them in his physical prime. Thanos admits that their actions have proven to him that his plan to wipe out half the universe was flawed, as the survivors were too busy dwelling on what was lost and trying to reverse it to make the most of the opportunity they were given. Instead, Thanos now intends to wipe out this universe and then rebuild it in his own image, with no one having any knowledge about what came before. Oh, that's different. Yeah, he's like completely changing. Now he's turning into the typical villain when you when the villain actually wins and not just resting. Yes. Steve, your boy Thor. He calls the thunder and both Stormbreaker and Mjolnir shoot to his hands. Goodbye, bathrobe. Hello, Asgardian gu- armor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was a really cool visual, but it was still kind of funny and weird because he's still kind of pudgy oh he's still wearing the fat suit underneath it yeah (laughs) in fact did you watch the featurettes at all of this i did not watch the featurettes they did like five or six takes of them like doing their rush uh, at the uh during the portal scene and they keep breaking character because he when he runs with the fat suit on he looks ridiculous Oh, God. While Barton outraces the Outriders, Ant-Man, Hulk, Rocket, and Rhodey escape from the rubble. I don't know how. Past Nebula returns in disguise, and he hands over the gauntlet. But before Past Nebula can kill him, Gamora and present Nebula intercept her. They attempt to convince her to leave Thanos, but she refuses, and present Nebula is forced to kill her past self. Barton took out those Outriders like a champ, and it's the first time... He's ever seen them. Again, he's the most underrated Avenger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we get Nebula killing Nebula. This is her final turn to good, eliminating the weak and evil version of herself. If, you, if nobody saw the character arc in this movie for her, then I mean, it, it, it's obvious, yeah. especially when she kills herself. Uh, during the struggle, Thanos manages to pin Thor down and prepares to kill him with Stormbreaker when suddenly Mjolnir hits him. Rogers summons the hammer to his side, 
uses it against the Mad Titan, and the loudest cheer in the history of film hits Earth. <laughs> we have been waiting for this moment since Age of Ultron. <laughs> Yeah, are you talking about the part where they're all like drinking and trying to try to lift up the hammer? And he moves it like, uh, like a centimeter, and Thor gets that. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a great moment! Yeah, I remember the first time I saw this, and yes, the same reaction was in the theater. But for some weird reason, it didn't really hit me until later. Like I had to let it sink in. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like I didn't think about the whole worthiness. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like. Oh crap! And then I remembered what happened to Age of Ultron. I was like, "Oh, this is a monumental scene." But even, now I understand. Even better, it's when he gets it. They cut right to Thor, and he's got this look on his face, and he says, "I knew it." Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Despite a valiant effort and Mortal Kombat style fighting, Thanos subdues Rogers and breaks his shield. Thanos taunts Rogers with the notion that he will take pleasure in destroying the Earth, and the Black Order descends from their ship with their armies of Shatari, Outriders, and Sakarans. With his shield broken and Mjolnir out of reach, a battle-weary Rogers prepares to make his last stand against Thanos and his massive army. Well, Rogers, that shield was fun to have for 21 movies, but it ain't protecting much now. Yeah, this uh, vibranium is officially number two next to animanium now. I want to know what <laughs> I want to know what Thanos's sword is made out of. Uh, it's, that's very true. Yeah. yeah, the scene with Cap looking at the entire army. It hangs in my family room. It's a framed poster in my living room. It's a, such an iconic shot. <laughs> it is. There, there's so many ways that you can look at that, even not knowing the movie. Yeah, and knowing any of the saga, and you can just. Look at that and get so many interpretations of what that is. It is a very iconic shot. That's what those scenes do. Mm-hmm. Just when all hope seems lost, Alan Silvestri lifts his baton and plays the first <laughs> drum beats of portals. Sling ring portals open up, transporting the previously fallen heroes, including Falcon, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Shuri, Scarlet Witch, Spider-Man, Drax, Groot, Wasp, Star-Lord, Mantis, Winter Soldier, Pepper Potts, Valkyrie, Okoye, Korg, Meek, Banner, Lang, Rhodey, Rocket, Dora Milaget, the Wakandan Army, Ravagers, Asgardians, the, then Rogers yells, Avengers assemble, and we all standing up with a hard on yell at the screen, yes! And the Battle of Earth and the Avengers, oh, to try to keep the Nano Gauntlet away from Thanos, and his forces with the objective of standing the Infinity Stones back to the proper timelines begins. Since the Quantum Tunnel has been destroyed along with the Avengers facility, their only alternative is to use the one housed in Louise's van, which is deep behind the enemy lines. Over the course of the battle, the Avengers forces manage to gain the upper hand, and Wanda Maximoff manages to single-handedly overpower Thanos until he orders Sanctuary 2 to fire upon the battlefield. This incapacitates Maximoff and destroys a dam, forcing Doctor Strange to finally do something to hold back the water to keep it from flooding the battlefield. The Masters of the Mystic Arts generate shields to protect the forces of the Avengers. Peter Parker has the gauntlet and is taken to relative safety. Carol Danvers arrives from space and destroys the Sanctuary too, leaving only the forces on the ground. Okay, Steve, let's unpack this little scene. <laughs> 
Most goosebumps I've ever had watching a film in my entire life. You get the scene of the portals. The one portal opens up. The music starts. It is like the perf. It's peanut butter and jelly. It's perfect. This is it's, what earned means. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's amazing when you listen to the song the portals and you hear all the different movies within this song. And you know what? I don't. I totally get that this is a movie that was meant for theaters. You were meant to see this in a theater amongst people who'd been on the journey with you or amongst just friends, make one or two of them at home. Because if you watch it on your own, yeah, it's not the same thing. I, I mean, you need the community. Would you agree? Yeah, this is something that I will probably always remember what I was going through in the theater when all of this happens. Mm -hmm. This might be the first time I was really and truly immersed in the in in a film. I was holding so much emotion back in the theater because I just didn't want to be that goofball, <laughs> bawling his eyes out in the movie theater. But damn, I the know. music is just so unreal. I have never felt anything like this, and I always get massive goosebumps when I see this scene paired with the music. Yes, when Thor yells out. And the Avengers theme plays after Cap says "assemble." Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just uh, I don't I, when I say "wow," I don't think that's good enough. It was the feeling that everybody that everyone finally was able to feel, and it was giving the biggest middle finger to Thanos, <laughs> who we all hated because of Infinity War, because the bad guy won, and it just pissed us off. Yes. Uh, so they start the battle. And Tony stops and hugs Peter. I mean, it's an amazing moment, but dude, you got a battle fight here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you said that the biggest applause, or the second biggest applause, was when Cat picks up Mjolnir. Yeah, I agree with that. The biggest applause that I met from my theater is when Spider-Man showed up. Oh, okay, all right. The portals. Yeah, it's kind of funny because depending on who you saw it with, if you were in a school, if you were in a um, a theater full of really young people, they love the Spider-Man. If you were yeah. with people who've been watching this thing from the beginning as adults, Cap moment was it. Um, it. It's just, it depends on which character you love the most and who you're around. But either way, we're talking about degrees of decibels with claps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was hooting and hollering when he slung in there. It was just, I, he's the fan favorite. Yep, yep. And, so I think that's why it went through. So, But we also get that the van is back. Louise's van. Does anybody see an ugly brown van? <laughs> <laughs> like, who would hear well, that in that entire battle? <laughs> that little bit of humor in such an intense scene. Yeah. Uh, now, there was, a, there, there was a deleted scene here also, which is all the Avengers getting together, and Doctor Strange creates a mirror dimension so they can discuss what their plan of attack is going to be. Uh, but they decided what? not to do it because they were like, it just slowed everything down. What? What deleted scene is this? I don't even remember seeing that. Well, did you watch the deleted scenes? I did, I guess. I well, maybe this is one that's only on Disney Plus then. It could be, because yeah. that wasn't part of mine. Oh, yeah. I want to see that. Oh, dang it. That's, yeah. Um, <clears throat> where did Valkyrie get a friggin' Pegasus? <laughs> I thought that was her thing. Well, when did we, it all depends on when we last saw. Well, just because she came back when she did doesn't necessarily mean that was the last time that we saw her. Well, if she 
I mean, we got to figure she's coming back from New Asgard, right? Yeah. <laughs> would, would people notice a freaking Pegasus running around? <laughs> well, it could have been in a stable sleeping. <laughs> No, I'm uh, surprised you picked that out. We get to, well. I watched. It, I was like, "That's awesome." Wait a second. Where'd she get that? Oh, <laughs> well, I guess we just knew that she had a Pegasus before, and now she's come back and to be that original good person fighter, and she got her Pegasus back. And you know Girl. what? The, the Russo brothers are really smart because they they really pay off every character. Every character gets a moment in this. Oh film. yeah. Um, yes, they do. And even Scarlet Witch. Oh, she could have killed Thanos herself. That's how powerful she is. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He had to go to his backup plan for that. Yep. Oh, Steve. Sire, our, our sire, or what Ebony, Ebony Moss says. Is, is, we'll know, kill our like, troops. What about their... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So rain fire. Yeah. Um, Steve, we finally get to see instant kill. <laughs> I remember. I remember talking about that. You know, when uh, we did Homecoming. Yep. And that's the, the one thing that we wanted to see was instant kill, and then wow. <laughs> no time to use it uh captain marvel shows up and clearly we know why she was brought in for the fight because she takes out every damn ship in the air <laughs> okay this is now my second favorite entrance into the mcu thor is still this, your first right thor is still my first okay. it was thanos when he came on in this movie not like now it's like after seeing this again in a third time how they brought her in it wasn't just all of a sudden this is why is everybody shooting? Something's entering the atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, what could it be? What could it be? Because you kind of completely forget about her. Oh, yeah. And then she shows up and just takes out Sanctuary, just like how she took out the ship in her own movie. Oh. And it really gave Captain Marvel some validity to me as a powerful foe against Thanos. And even more importantly, they do a shot of Thanos, and even Thanos is surprised at this point. Oh, yeah. It's like... He's probably thinking, oh, what now? Thanos finally <laughs> is experiencing doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, Spider-Man gets to where he is through Pepper and Valkyrie. Captain Marvel shows up, so it's reasonable to think that the Avengers are in protection mode. However, as cool as seeing all of the females on the screen at the same time, I think it's completely convoluted and it feels forced. But I think there's two ways to look at this. Way one, there's no way in hell they'd all be in the same place on the battlefield, so this is pushing an agenda. Or two, this is sticking it in the face of all those critics who said there are no powerful women in the Marvel movies. And Steve, I tend to side with the latter. I think that's what the scene was. I think this was all the people who bitched about Captain Marvel, this is them saying, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I totally agree with the latter itself. Yeah. So if, if you hear people complain about the agenda thing, listen, they've got their own perspective. But honestly, this is a middle finger to the critics. I agree. Then she says, well, <laughs> you got something for me? Well, yeah, even going back and I didn't notice this to the next time, you know. OK, so this is rewinding maybe about maybe five minutes. Hi, when I, I think I'm, Cap, I'm Peter Parker. When, yeah. When I think when Cap has the picks up the gauntlet, I think. And I think he throws it to Peter. Yes. And he goes, here, Queens. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and he gives, him that, he gives him that nickname, you know, because that's what he called him in uh, Civil War. Yeah. yeah. I- I'm Peter Parker. Hey, Peter Parker. You got something for me? <laughs> <laughs> 
just like so cocky. I'm like, just give it to her and let her do it. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like a little like, what the hell's going on? You know, scared and uh, starstruck at the same time. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. Just... Uh, she takes the gauntlet from Peter Parker and tries to fly it to the quantum tunnel. Just within reach of her goal, Thanos destroys the van and secures the gauntlet for himself. He puts it on. But Danvers engages Thanos before he can snap his fingers. A brief struggle ensues with Thanos coming out on top after using the power stone to incapacitate Danvers. Okay, Cap, Thor, and Tony trying to stop him from taking the gauntlet, that's one thing, because Thanos isn't screwing around. But when Captain Marvel gets involved and Thanos headbutts her and she doesn't flinch, (laughs) I want to see this movie of Captain Marvel. (laughs) <laughs> like yesterday. Yeah. If they make the cap, if they make a Captain Marvel two, I want this cap. Yes. <laughs> this 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 scene here, even more so, gave me the strong validity that she can easily take out Thanos. Mm-hmm. It made me appreciate Captain Marvel a little bit more. Oh yeah. Because yeah. before when I first saw it when we did the podcast, I just I didn't get it yet. Now after seeing all this, dude, she's awesome. Right. She is awesome. Um, Strange, Dr. Strange, looks at Tony and reminds him of their earlier discussion of the odds, but by holding up just one finger. As Thanos tries again to activate the Infinity Stones, and with all other Avengers being either busy or beaten, Stark leaps at Thanos and tussles with him before being thrown off. The Mad Titan revels in his supposed victory, saying, I am inevitable, before snapping his fingers but nothing happens. Thanos realizes the Infinity Stones are missing, and he turns his attention to Stark, who is now in possession of the stones and uses his nanotech suit, constructing a new gauntlet around them. Tony declares, and I am Iron Man, and snaps his fingers. Now, Steve, when Thanos snapped his fingers, I thought for sure he had the stones. (laughs) I thought he had them. I was like, oh, great, we're going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, the second time seeing this, I really paid attention, and it was just so quick. I mean, very, very quick, that the fact that Tony, or uh, he has his hands wrapped around the gauntlet yes. to take him. But when all of the stones are activated, you notice all the times that the gauntlet is put on. Okay. And the arm and the whole body is vulnerable. Like, I guess I really, you really noticed it. When Hulk puts it on, like he can, he, he, he can contain it, but barely. And the entire time that that thing is on and activated, his whole body is vulnerable because of so much energy that's going on. Hulk, right? Yes. yes and the Hulk. Whole same thing when, when, when Thanos finally snapped it. Mm. Um, yeah, Infinity War. I, I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> you know, and, but none of this really happened when he snaps it, which makes sense because and have the stones in here. I just think it was noticeable now in kind of a duh moment that he doesn't have it because he doesn't have the stones. Okay. First off, the Infinity Gauntlet was designed to harness the power of all the stones. That means that it's probably easier to contain the power than the Iron Gauntlet. Would you agree? I agree. Okay. However, when they are activated together with the snap, that's when his arm gets all shriveled and he's vulnerable. Thanos, not Hulk. Plus, 
when he puts the gauntlet on while fighting Captain Marvel, it does affect his arm for the short time. It takes the Infinity Gauntlet to absorb it, and he tries to snap during that time, but Captain Marvel stops him. He then removes the Power Stone, and it is clearly doing damage to his hand. When he puts the stone back in, it's affecting him again, but it's short-lived. Remember, the gauntlet is not like Iron Man's gauntlet, or the Iron Gauntlet for that matter. The Infinity Gauntlet was made by Eatry, specifically designed to harness the power. Now, that being said, I went back and I watched Infinity War after reading your comment. And what happened was, he gets the Soul Stone, puts it in, does his rage yell, and then... As he is about to do something, that's when Thor enters the atmosphere, throws Stormbreaker at him, Thanos notices, shoots the Power Stone at him, and he is no longer vulnerable at that point. So when he snaps his finger, there is no pain or anything going on outside the the axe in his chest. Yep. In this movie, when he has all the stones on his hand, he has that one moment of, ah, but then it goes away. And as he's about to snap, that's when Captain Marvel intervenes. So he's not actually as vulnerable as Hulk is when he puts it on because it's not Eatree's gauntlet. I agree. Yeah, I get I, I get that. But I think putting all I, in, I guess you would only kind of really know this in the comics, has to have the stones been ever harnessed before and it, b- before this time when they were all put together. You know what? I... I have no idea. I don't. Okay, I think so. the last time that they were together, I think literally the last time they were together was when the universe, right before it blew up. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't think anybody, even the dwarves on Nebulaire, is, is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, good. They're, nice they're, job. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're making something to harness the power of the stones, but do they really know a tool and can, can they really consciously build a tool that can really harness the power of all of these stones coming together, never knowing truly what they would be like coming together? Well, they do because you can, <laughs> when he puts the final one in, it absorbs it. And then that absorption, that, that power glow that he has goes away. Yeah. And now he's just holding the gauntlet in his hands. The only time that his arm gets shriveled is when he snaps the fingers yeah, because so much energy has been expended. Right. So when he's about to snap in this scene, it makes sense that he's not all glowy and in pain because he's beyond that point at this point. He had it on his arm the entire time. What throws it off is the fact that when Tony's wrestling with them, you never see or any indication whatsoever in the struggle that Tony's getting the stones off of this. You just see him wrap his hands around this massive gauntlet, you know, right. I'm sure. Tony's hands are so much smaller than his. And, and I then, think, I think this is the nanotech, the nanotech that the job for him to grab the stones yeah. out when he was, when he was struggling, which means this is not the iron gauntlet uh, either, because that means the, no, sto- the stones are being absorbed into Tony's suit. Yeah. It's more. So yeah, we have three gauntlets, have gauntlet. Steve. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's crazy. It is I crazy. I, I didn't even realize that, that that wasn't even the iron gauntlet. In shock and horror, Thanos watches as his entire army turns to dust. He accepts defeat before he finally turns to dust as well. Stark collapses from his wounds after sharing brief and silent goodbyes with Rhodes and Parker. Tony succumbs to his injuries in peace after being comforted by Potts, who assures him that she and Morgan will be all right. Steve watching, watching Thanos ash away is bittersweet. Thank you, Thanos, for restoring the villain to the blockbuster you are in the pantheon of motion picture villains for all time. Yes. And uh, what a goodbye for Tony Stark. Did not see his death coming in this movie the first time around. I mean, he's surrounded by the most influential and important people in his life. 
You got James Rhodes, his best friend, Peter Parker, the son he wish he had, and Pepper Potts, the love of his life. And then she says, oh, you can rest now. Yeah, and it totally makes sense because the conversation they had on the couch in the beginning of the movie says, could you rest? I just started tearing up, Steve. <laughs> it's... Are you crying yet? Because if not, you don't have a soul. <laughs> We're not done, Steve. I know. <laughs> with the universe restored, the heroes reunite with their families and friends. In Tony's cabin, a goodbye message he recorded the night before the Avengers traveled through time plays to Tony's family and close friends, finishing with the hologram of him looking right at his daughter, Morgan, and saying that he loves her 3,000. Are you crying yet? Because if not, you don't have a soul. <laughs> I just got chills all over my body. You said that last line. <laughs> Barton meets with his family, who is lost, who he lost. Uh, Peter Parker meets with his man in the chair, Ned, who he lost. You see Ant-Man and Wasp sitting with Cassie as a family. Black Panther watches over Wakanda with his family. I love you 3000. This is where that, that line now becomes extremely powerful. You know, it's funny because right now for this podcast, I am currently wearing the shirt that my wife got made for me where it says, Dad, I love you 3000. Oh, oh you're killing me. You're <laughs> killing me, Smalls. I, I love this. <laughs> They proceed outside, where Pepper casts a funeral wreath into the lake. The group is joined by other important individuals, including Happy Hogan, Nick Fury, Maria Hill, Thaddeus Ross, May Parker, the Pims, the Guardians of the Galaxy, a delegation from Wakanda, remaining Avengers, hell, even Harley freaking Keener shows up, as they all recognize the sacrifice that Stark made to save them and the universe. And they do so using the original... Proof that Tony Stark has a heart arc reactor. Damn. <laughs> the music here is Sylvester's best. I don't know how he didn't win an Academy Award for this. It's a fucking shame. <laughs> it, it is absolutely terrible. Terrible. Oh, the the song that they play is the real hero. Yes. This is the song I want played at my funeral. <laughs> and as, mor as morbid as that sounds and as depressing as that sounds, it, to me, this song is getting up there and is now rivaling Portals. Oh. As a bet, as a, as a song. It's okay. not the It's not better. It's rivaling. There's it's the so much emotion. And it's the organ. And the it, organ does it. Yeah. The organ, and then I think at, towards the later part of the song, you kind of get the acoustic guitar strum. Yep, yep, yep. It's it's just so emotional and it's a very honorable scene to the one who started it all with. Yes. They brought back Harley Keener for this scene. Smart move. Yeah, I don't think anybody really... I, that was a big question coming out of this after the movie. People said, who the heck was that person yeah. standing back there? And so. it's so fitting that Fury shows up for this and he's the final shot at the funeral because he was the architect of the entire team. Barton and Maximoff comfort each other by the lake after the funeral, both suffering from their own losses. Barton expresses that he wishes Natasha could know that they won and Maximoff assures him that she knows they did, as does Vision. And I really like how they paired these two up because, you know, Barton brought her into the fold in Age of Ultron. She's, he's kind of like her ward. Yeah. And then we get another great scene between Happy Hogan and Morgan. And you just get the feeling that, you know, Morgan is well looked after. 
Maybe not with her help because she's going to get her all the cheeseburgers she ever wants. <laughs> but Which, if you remember, in, is the first thing Tony Stark asked for when he came back from the Afghanistan. Yeah. He wanted a cheeseburger. That, that again, that, that that's kicking the audience in, <laughs> in the gut already when they're down. It's like, oh, that, that, that's adding on to the tears. Oh, God. Thor then leaves behind New Asgard after making Valkyrie the new king and joins the Guardians of the Galaxy. He wants to find his true purpose, free of the burden of royalty and leadership for the first time in his life. And Steve, Thor's journey appears to be headed to a new chapter, finding who he is and not chasing who he's supposed to be. Yeah, this is exciting. And I know, it's kind of like, listen, the, the movie's over, but we have more stories to tell. Oh, so cool. <laughs> On the Benatar, Quill looks at star maps scanning for Gamora. Quill and Thor then have a quick argument about who is the leader of the group, as everyone else presumes Thor will be captain now, and Drax suggests that they have a ritual knife fight to the death for the position of captain, an idea which gets everyone else's approvals. Yes, knives! <laughs> <laughs> Although Thor reassures them that Quill is still the captain, the sly look on his face indicates that he still believes otherwise. Great levity in this movie. Oh, it's the Asgardians of the galaxy. <laughs> of course you're in charge. Of course. Oh, how bad do you want to see this movie? Oh, I cannot wait for together. Guardians 3. <laughs> Rogers volunteers to go back in time to return the Infinity Stones and Mjolnir to their proper places in time. He bids farewell to Barnes and Wilson with a slightly longer farewell than would be expected because Banner then says he should be back in five seconds. Rogers disappears as planned, but he does not return on the expected count of five. Instead, Barnes notices an elderly man sitting alone on a bench by the river, silencing Wilson's concern. Wilson walks over and meets an aged version of his ally, Steve Rogers. Rogers tells him he had decided to stay in the past and experience life with a wife, not Peggy Carter. He doesn't know it's Peggy. Wilson is shocked, but accepts Rogers' choice to hang up the shield, saddened that he will have to live in a world without Captain America. However, Rogers then passes his shield to Wilson. Now, the look on Bucky's face when Steve doesn't come back is clear that he knew that Steve wouldn't be returning. I think Bucky knew Steve's intention. What about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I, Bucky knows Steve the best. Yeah. Because he's known him for the longest time. He's like, he's like a, a brother from another mother. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me as well that he isn't like just about as shocked as Sam. And even more so when they're both looking at the old man and Bucky kind of nods to Sam after Cap offers him the shield. I thought that was like both of these guys are passing off the mantle to him. Yeah. Winter Soldier or Bucky, he, he, he has his thing. Yeah. He's grown as a person. He's grown as a character. Yes, he Sam, has still has a lot of room for growth. And this is absolutely perfect that he put him on, which made me think, does Sam's character turn? Is, is there like a new Captain America that comes off in the, in the comics? Is well, I believe character eventually turns into, I believe he does turn into Captain America eventually in the comics, but as per what's next for him, you know, we've got the TV show coming out, uh, Falcon and the winter soldier, which is going to be about this period in between. Okay. Okay, good. I was, that was going to be my next question. I wasn't sure what that was all going to be about. Yeah, because in one of the trailers for all the Marvel shows, they show uh, Sam throwing the shield into a tree. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Wilson is at first hesitant to take it, but Rogers tells him that he should take it. 
As they shake hands, Wilson notices a ring on Rogers' left hand and asks him if he'll tell, her, tell him about her. And Rogers simply responds, no, no, I don't think I will. Cap <laughs> is finally off mission. It's nice to see he finally got to live his life without worrying about being a soldier. Yep. A brief flashback shows Rogers and Carter finally sharing the dance they never got to have in their living room. Truly happy at last. And the song that they're playing is the one that they played in Winter Soldier in Rogers' apartment. Oh. Yeah. Now we get to the credits because, you know, we're not done yet. The credits show (laughs) flashes of all the characters in the MCU with the actors who played them. The final six credits are the original six Avengers with their autographs next to their clips. And the credits end with six blacksmith hammerings. (laughs) As if you weren't kicked in the gut enough, here you go. Wow. One for each of the original six. Thor, Cap, Hawkeye, Hulk, Black Widow, and the last one is a different sounding one. There's your Iron Man. Oh, jeez. God, why don't you just stop? <laughs> I didn't even know that. There are six for that. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And I know after this, you're going to go check it out. <laughs> I get damn right I am. Yep. Main on end, the song that's played, that whole entire montage is just a great homage to everyone who has participated in this saga. Mm-hmm. And to me is my top song. Now, I have kind of a soft spot for the Avengers theme song, so yes. maybe that's why. In my opinion, this, to me, it's better than Portals. Okay. It's better than the real hero. All right. It sends a message to each player, actor, character in the saga, and I can hear, as the song is playing and the credits are rolling, I just hear constant standing ovation while this song is being played to all the actors and actresses. Yes. Especially the original six. And oh. it's timed so perfectly because you start to hear the Avengers theme song and then you hear, the, you see the montage of the original six. Yep. The Avengers. I know. <laughs> and the movie's over. Oh. <laughs> Uh, only two hours and 43 minutes in. <laughs> According to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 93%. 53 fresh reviews, four rotten, and the critics gave this a 7.7 out of 10. I gotta read those four rottens. Uh, the critics consensus reads, exciting, entertaining, and emotionally impactful. Avengers Endgame does whatever it takes to deliver a satisfying finale to Marvel's epic Infinity Saga. I can't disagree with that. No, I, the, the best word in that whole entire sentence, and as weird as it sounds, is satisfying. Yes. I felt satisfied. I felt completed after this movie. And the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.5 out of 5, with 90% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. So it's it's it, it's got good traction. Yeah. But the movie's over, Steve. Were you entertained? <laughs> <laughs> this might be the I dumbest have, question ever <laughs> I, I have never experienced anything like this and i can't wait to do it again <laughs> give me the soundtrack now dude i can't do another 22 movie series <laughs> were were you entertained at all more than i've been in any other movie that we have recorded for this show <laughs> just clear that, that, that just yeah uh, yeah. But let's figure out whether the awards got it right. 
<laughs> and whether this movie is worth your time or not. At the Academy Awards, it got one nomination, one Uno for Best Achievement in Visual Effects, but it lost to 1917. Never seen 1917. Haven't seen The Irishman, The Lion King. You saw Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Of those movies, you got, here's the thing, I would say Endgame or Lion King. Okay. If I had to pick one one or the other, I would probably go Lion King. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now that's it. So now we go to the Golden Globes, and it got no nominations. This, 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 I don't swear too much on this show, but this... <laughs> how in the hell do you not even get nominated? Not even nominated. The music alone. You know what's funny? At the Academy Awards, John Williams was nominated for original score. And he probably used a lot of the same song yep. over the saga. Well, no, no, let's be clear. Silvestri incorporated a lot of the original stuff also into his. That's what so, makes it so good is that he was able to do it seamlessly. But John Williams is like, I. when I think of The Force Awakens, I can hear Ray's theme in my head. That I could understand him winning for because that was brilliant. But when I go to the next few movies, I'm like, there's nothing that sticks in my head. I could not describe Ray's theme to you. I know you can. Yeah, it's my part is because it's my it's what I wake up to every morning. Yeah, it's my alarm. By portals. Yep. Okay, now we go to the Saturn Awards. Got eight nominations. One for best actor for Robert Downey Jr. in Avengers Endgame. I'd say yes. Yes. Uh, it won for Best Comic to Film Motion Picture. It won for... Nope, I'm sorry. Best Costume Design went to Aladdin. <laughs> okay. It's a genie. I get it. Genie had to be everything. Uh, best Director. Jordan Peele wins for Us. Over Avengers Endgame. I haven't seen Us. I haven't seen Us. But goddamn. What the Russo brothers did is just unprecedented. Exactly. Um, Best editing. It did win best editing. So that's good. It won for best makeup. It. What? Best music? It did not win? What won, Steve? Say it. No. Say no, it. No, no, no. I'll say no, it. No. Mark Shaman for Mary Poppins Returns. I could not wait to turn off that movie 40 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's BS because that's that's almost redoing a very nostalgic film where almost every, with the original Mary Poppins, all of you can sing along and know a lot of the original songs. And in this new Mary Poppins, they tried to bring that back. 
couple with newer songs, and it just, it, it to me, it didn't work. This is my I did, biggest. I did not like it. And this is my biggest problem with awards when they do best music. If a musical is anywhere near the nominations, it always wins. Always. Okay, best production design went to Avengers Endgame. Best special effects went to Avengers Endgame. Best supporting actor went to Josh Brolin for Avengers Infinity War. Now, now be clear here. Josh Brolin was not nominated for Endgame. Now, here's the thing. Supporting actor, the other person that was nominated was Jeremy Renner for Avengers Endgame. Should he have won over Josh Brolin? No. Okay. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know what? Wait, hold on a second. No, I'm sorry. No, no, he shouldn't have beaten Josh Brolin for Avengers Infinity War. I was going to say, because Renner plays that role really well in Endgame. He does. Uh, he actually acts in that film. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, yeah, but Brolin takes Thanos' character, and I'm reflecting on what we said in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Thanos makes you believe that what he's doing is right, and that's all about the delivery and how Josh Brolin did that. Yes. Uh, so best, that's why I get the nominee. Best Supporting Actress? Uh, let's see. Scarlett Johansson and Karen Gillan were both nominated for this, but it goes to... MJ from Spider-Man Far From Home. And Steve wrote, (laughs) Scarlet should have won this one. Exactly. Yep. It should have went to Black Widow. And uh, best writing, Endgame does not win. It goes to A Quiet Place. I can... No, 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 no. (laughs) I can find the argument. (laughs) I can find it, but I don't want to argue it. <laughs> and now we go to the MTV Movie Awards. All right, Steve. They were nominated for three. Uh, best fight. It was uh, Captain America versus Thanos when he's got the hammer. And believe it or not, that did not win. Instead, <clears throat> Captain Marvel versus Minerva in Captain Marvel won. No, 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 no. No one remembers that fight. <laughs> the part of the fight, and I don't know if you would agree with this, is part of the fight. After Cap gets knocked down, hmm? and he cringes, and he gets back up, and he straps on the shield oh. tighter. Yes. I would consider that part of the fight. I would also, that- um, because apparently the reason why he's grimacing is because his arm is broken. Could be. So yeah. when he straps it on, he's basically stinting his arm. <laughs> okay, best hero went to Tony Stark for Avengers Endgame. I think yes. that's about right. And best movie, Avengers Endgame wins again. It's it's a slam dunk. It is. But Steve, we're now done with the awards. It's time to go to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about three things we want to highlight in this movie. And then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three, Steve. Go ahead. This will be the toughest I've ever had to compile because there's so many great things to only crunch into three. (laughs) My number three. I loved Captain Marvel's entrance during the final battle on her role. Okay. What her role was in the final battle. I didn't really care for it before until now. To me, she's a definite equal to Thanos. 
and the debate is there the, the debate was there and she is the most powerful being in the universe boom my number two <clears throat> the end credits of the cast especially the original avengers it's it's how it's done take away the music which i don't like to do but even just take away the music and just how they did that is so unique and amazing yeah i've and never it really seen that felt before like it, it it's it felt like definite closure again what that critic said, it was very satisfying. Yes. It was very deserving, and it's something a little bit extra, especially for those original six members. It was also a big thank you to the audience for being around for the entire thing. That yes. Is, talk about really knowing who you're doing these movies for. And my number one, which I think is very obvious, is Alan <laughs> Silvestri is God. The Real Hero song makes me think of so many things uh, in the movie and outside the movie. But may not end. That is just the ultimate. I love that in any part of a song that's on that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. No, no soundtrack has ever moved me as much as this has. Yes. <sighs> and that was, and again, that was tough because there's so many in there. <laughs> uh, good luck. Good luck. What are your top three? All right, my number three is the fact that they found a way to make every movie in the MCU relevant by the end of this movie. You can't take away one movie from the MCU and get everything you can out of this one. My number two is Black Widow's Sacrifice. I agree with the Russo brothers. This was the most heroic action to this point by any character in the MCU. Done. I agree. And Steve, my number one. Steve, on your left. When that moment happened, (laughs) what was going through your mind? The first thing I thought was... Is that Sam? <laughs> and then when you see the the portals open, and Black uh, Black Panther walks out with Shuri and Okoye, yeah, I was like, no way are they, no. And then you see Falcon fly out, and I went okay. And then they pan back, and you see every portaling open up, and I was like. I, I've never seen this before. I have, I have no idea what to say. This is everything I've been waiting to see. I feel like since 1979, when I was birthed from my parents, this is all I've needed. To see. I can die now knowing I've seen all I need to see. <laughs> I, I've seen it all. You can't top this moment. You can't. DC, you've just lost. Yes. <laughs> the Undertaker... Just in his 25th appearance at WrestleMania, choke slammed you through the mat. It's over. So, yeah, that's that's my uh, top three. Okay, time for bottom three. Uh, <laughs> time to vent, Steve. Really get angry about these. Go ahead. Okay. Again, <laughs> this was tough because it's tough. It, for, for so good of a movie that this is, it's it, and this has happened in previous podcasts where you enjoy a movie so much. It's tough to find things that are that you don't like, <laughs> and then it's hard, It starts to turn even nitpicky. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, my number three, Thanos. <laughs> in this in this film, he plays out his plan to get the Infinity War. Just does not seem as epic like it was in Infinity War. Agreed. It was packaged and wrapped in a bow for him to get, and it just felt a little cheap. Like it was like he cheated. The man with the master plan 
for what he wanted to do in the universe just took a shortcut. Yeah. And look how that turned out for him. <laughs> he ended up just ashing away. Well, he also ended up having all the stones, so he did get it. He did get it, but his ultimate goal of wanting to do what he did, it, it just it didn't work out. Well, he didn't expect an army. So. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but he had an army of his own. Anyways. <laughs> See, What's next, Steve? My, num- <laughs> my number two. Seeing Fat Thor is just gross. Rocket, Rocket said it best. You look like melted ice cream. <laughs> Nobody likes melted ice cream. Oh god! And and, and number one, this it, it's just this is me. To me, rewatching this movie totally loses that. Oh, shit, what am I seeing on screen right now? This is freaking awesome. During the portal scene, now, will is it is still in an emotional scene? Yes. But the more to me, the more I rewatch this scene, the more I rewatch it, the less I lose that feeling. And I hate that. I hate the fact that the more I watch this, I lose that feeling. Do you think part of it is that you watched it by yourself? It's maybe. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of movies that I watch multiple times with a mass audience. Okay. No, I mean, but I mean, like, I've, even if you were just around other people watching it, like at home, that would be the only other time that I might get this. And I would have to live to get that feeling through somebody else. Yeah. And I feel like I will be able to do that with my son or daughter when they are ready to watch it. That okay. will be the time because then I and then I'm seeing in them the same feelings. Hopefully, I don't know. I got to go based on hope on that point that they are about as emotionally involved as I was. Yeah. Cause I mean, this could be a swift kick in the nuts at that time. It's like, dad, I don't care about this movie. Oh, <gasps> that will hurt. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. And <laughs> <laughs> officially my bottom three, Joe. Okay. What are yours, buddy? My number three is, you know, time travel can be sticky because it's so theoretical and it's, it's hard to write without plot holes every now and then. <laughs> Because it's all fiction anyway. So, yeah. that, that you know, you always have to deal with that with time travel. My number two is, I really would have liked to have seen Okoye go on a mission. Like, why didn't she get an invite? When they go to battle Thanos the first time around, how come they weren't like, get Okoye? Yeah, I think the only time you saw her in there was just kind of battling, which was she battling Darth Maul style. Yes. That was it. She didn't give her a, a role, I guess. And my number one is, I feel like all Doctor Strange got to do in this movie was stop a flood. Well, he did that and brought everybody back. Uh uh uh. uh, uh. All the wizards were doing that. Were they? Yeah, because Wong was doing the little sling ring spin and all that, so they were all doing it. Yeah, I guess. So yeah, I I hate to belittle my boy Doctor Strange, but Yeah, that's maybe it's okay. I belittled Thanos, so (laughs) Well, also I think we talked about it during Infinity War. Infinity War could have been called Thanos Infinity War because it was really his movie. Yes. This movie is not Thanos' movie. No, no, not at all. This is... Uh, the Avengers movie. I don't, it's the original six. Yeah, Avengers, yeah. 
Okay, we use an, it's time for the critics rating, Steve. We use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average. A A is the highest and F is the lowest. And if the movie is so bad, it receives Fs from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie to join another movie called Solo, a Star Wars Story, the movie planet <laughs> global killer. See, we weren't going to get through it without mentioning it one time. A category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how awful it actually is. So the question is, why are you giving Avengers an F, Steve? No. <laughs> what, what do you give Avengers Endgame in the comic book feature film genre? So, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? This is such a monumental movie. I, I, I want the audience to hear you last. Okay. So I am going to go first. All right. This is, this is your baby. Go for um, it. I don't know how many times I've tried to start this first sentence. I've hit the backspace so many times because I just want to get this right. This movie took me on the ride of my life when I saw it for the first time in theater. Even now, as I'm typing this, the credits are rolling and it's 2 a.m. And I know you've cursed me on watching films this late. I am not. I am tired. But it's not because it's 2 a.m. It's because of the emotional roller coaster that I just took. Uh, Was this the same movie that I saw in the theaters as I'm watching now at home? Yes and no. Yes, uh, duh, it literally is the same movie. But no, only because I know the ending. I know the climatic scene and that magical feeling that engulfed my body and mind and paralyzed me with shock will never be experienced by this movie again. When I think about it like that, I hate it. <laughs> I only hope that I can live that moment through someone else. My son, my daughter, when they're old enough to watch this with their dad and their Uncle Joe. Aww. If there is if, if there's anything that I want to talk to you, the listener, about, it's this. The music. <laughs> Alan Silvestri has been robbed by not winning a prestigious award for his work in this film. When I watched the film, I did something that I haven't done for any film in the MCU, and that is watching this film with my headphones. If you have the ability to do this, I strongly recommend it. I will, it will leave an impression on you like none other. This might be the new way movies should be heard. Maybe even in the theaters. Now, I know we talked about that, and there's a lot of logistic things to get it, but the music here is just so perfectly placed and even a year after this movie has been released and everything that I do know, I can turn on portals or my personal favorite main on end. I can close my eyes and I transport myself back to this movie. No other soundtrack has made me feel the way this soundtrack has period for the movie book genre. This one is it. This is the crown jewel on paper and rightfully so it has every character that we've been on through this journey with and it's come just it's it's come to a massive head my villain analysis thanos it's kind of obvious that he's the main villain in this one i'm gonna keep this one shorter and that he's just awesome in this once again he had me convinced that what he was doing was right i am inevitable <laughs> one of the best lines that will echo <laughs> for eternity in cinematic lore but I will still proclaim that he was a better villain in Infinity War. He had so much more malice in this film. 
he seemed to accidentally stumble across his plan for collecting the stones. Now, I know I said I was going to give my final villain analysis ranking, but we technically still have one more movie to do in the Infinity Saga. So you'll have to wait about another week or so to compare my list to yours. Fooled you. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many great scenes, so many iconic scenes in this one that has changed the box office culture. There are a couple billion reasons why. It still blows my mind, the earth-shattering records that this film raked in. And it is absolute travesty (laughs) that this is not recognized for for all the greatness that is in this film. Disney, Marvel, I'm talking to you. I know this might not be the award that you're wanting. You can't display this one for everybody to see, and it won't give you another raise. But you deserve the grade of an A. And even more, the number one spot in the movie planet Pantheon. When a film moves (laughs) you through storytelling, and music, and it makes you feel for the characters on screen in a deep emotional level, you will forever have a place in my heart and my memory as a happy one. Avengers Endgame, I love you 3000. That was beautiful. Thank you. I don't know how I'm going to even match that. (laughs) Joe? Yes? This is your time. All right. Tell me, what did you think of Avengers Endgame? Okay. This is an A. I'm giving you my grade up front. It's an A. Now, if you want to skip ahead, you can. But now I'm going to lay out why I think this is an A. And here we go. First, let's get this right out of the way. The best blockbuster movies have a perfect synergy of music to movie. Titanic, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Back to the Future. They are all movies where when you hear the music, you instantly can see specific scenes that meant so much to you. It gives you goosebumps. This movie, Alan Silvestri does some of his best work. The music swells at the right time. It cuts out completely at the right times. It makes you feel all the time. Now, casting-wise, we will never see something this gigantic in scope with this many great actors ever again. The fact they could bring in actors like Robert Redford for 30 seconds of screen time or Angela Bassett for 15 seconds of screen time is a testament to how these movies should not be taken as just mere comic book movies. They've transcended the genre and they've elevated the expectations for what we want to see in future installments. Think of it this way. Before Marvel's MCU, Batman 89 was revered. Could you imagine that movie coming out in the middle of these movies? It would have been a joke. Anthony and Joe Russo have done the impossible. They created a greatest hits album that works as an original idea. They took time travel advice from previous movies and made it original. They found a way to give every character a moment in a three hour and one minute film. And they found a way to close the door on six characters we've spent the last 10 years with while still keeping the door open for new stories with new characters. There is not a wasted scene in this film. Everything is payoff. Yes, let's talk about the purple elephant in the room. Thanos isn't the same Thanos he was in Infinity War, and that's okay. How could you possibly top that performance in any way? However, he is still formidable, he's still relentless, and inevitable. After both Infinity War and Endgame, I place him at number one in my villain's pantheon of all time. 
Move over, Emperor Palpatine. Slide down a little bit, Voldemort. Hey, General Zod, can you grab a different chair? It's Thanos. Hands, or should I say gauntlets, down. But this movie has two villains because the other villain in this movie is grief. How do you move past it? Do you succumb to it? Do you find a way to dig down and make the sacrifices or losses worth the effort to overcome it? Do you quit when it hits you? It's why family is so important. Family helps you with grief. Family pulls you from its clutches and gives you purpose. And it's why of all the Avengers, this is as much a Black Widow movie as it is an Iron Man movie. She talks at the beginning of the family she's cultivated with these individuals, something she never had because it made her want to be a better person. And when she makes the sacrifice for all of them, they, in turn, get that final boost beyond their own grief to try to be better also and take the final steps to bring everyone else back. After all, the Avengers' main goal in this movie is not beating Thanos. It's bringing everyone back. If you had the chance to bring a loved one back and the odds were as stacked against you as these characters, would you go through it? Would you? That's overcoming grief. That's heroic. One chance out of 14 million. That's what separates these characters from the rest of us. Realistically, this should not have been possible. This is a once-in-a-lifetime movie moment. 21 movies, all tying together with very few, very few plot holes, leading to a movie that by history's standards should have disappointed, but instead completely paid everything off. Is this a movie you can watch as a standalone? No, it's part of an overall narrative. I swear, if you want to see this movie in all its intended splendor, you need to start with Iron Man and just take the journey. Even if you don't even like comic book movies, it's something that you just need to witness at some point in our lifetime because chances are you never will again. Iron Man is awesome. Thor is awesome. Thanos is awesome. Cap is awesome. Hawkeye is awesome. Hulk is awesome. But Black Widow... She's the MVP. It's an A. Done. Kevin Feige, Marvel, I love you 3,000. Let's go get some cheeseburgers. <laughs> wow. That is awesome, buddy. <laughs> and Steve, that puts Avengers Endgame at an average score of a, uh, well, let's see. That's a carry of the one. It's a, oh, it's an A. It's, it's an, an a. a. Now, I'm putting half the responsibility on your shoulders here, Steve. I know where I would put it. Where would you put this movie amongst the A's that we have? And what we'll do is we'll take the average of the two placements. So the four A's that we have is Deadpool number one, Avengers Infinity War number two, Iron Man number three, and Dark Knight number four. So Steve, I heard yours. Are you still going to put it at number one? I, yes, in my, in, I think this deserves the reward and the recognition for everything that it's done for me. I would put this most definitely above Infinity War. I love Infinity War, but I, I do you put it over Deadpool? I, I most definitely put it over Deadpool. I give this the number one billing out of, in the comic book movie genre, this is it. This is everything. It. This is number one. Your turn. Oh, Steve. I know it's Do above it. the Dark Knight. 
I know it's above Iron Man. I know it's above Avengers Infinity War. Do it. What I'm struggling with <laughs> is that Deadpool is not dependent on anything else to watch. Endgame is dependent on a lot. <sighs> okay, I'm putting it at number one. <laughs> Avengers in the game is now the number one comic book movie in the Pantheon. And we say goodbye to the good doctor, Doctor Strange. <laughs> Your buddy, Doctor Strange. So now our Pantheon is Avengers Endgame with a perfect score, Deadpool with a perfect score. Number three is Avengers Infinity War with an A. Number four is Iron Man with an A. Number five, The Dark Knight with an A. Number six, Batman Begins with an A minus. And number seven, Black Panther with a B plus. That this is, is an, that's an insane group. <laughs> that is a very tight, tight group. And Steve, we're almost at the point now where we're arguing which A is leaving the Pantheon. Yeah, that's exactly what, yeah. Okay, oh. well, let's get our crit scouts off, Steve. Uh, I don't know if people know, but do you love this movie? Do you like this movie or none of the above? I love it, man. Do you love it 3,000? <laughs> I love it 3,000. I, I love what this movie, you? too. I think I, I, I love this movie. I, the fact that you and I waited a full year before we even watched it after it left theaters, I think is a testament to how much we love this movie. Oh, God. So and, you know, for the longest time, I've had this movie wrapped up, and I, I told myself when we started this journey that I was not going to watch any part of Infinity War and or Endgame because I wanted to get the same emotion right. or get as close to it as possible, and my patience has paid off. Excellent. Okay. That's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Spider-Man Far From Home, the final movie in the Marvel Infinity Saga. Can you believe we're here, Steve? This is like... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this is going to be a tough one to look at. You came because... into this and you did an entire franchise. I don't even... <laughs> this is a saga. I don't know what's I don't know what's, what's more of a staple, a saga or a franchise, or they're one and the same. But I, I, I almost want to name it the the Steve Saga. <laughs> well, this will always be a large chunk of it is the Joe Journey. Well, it's the Steve Saga. Uh, you can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow the Instagram for one minute reviews. If the movies ever end up going back into theaters, that'd be great. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. That being said, we're more than happy to work for you, Marvel. 
All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They're included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve, any last words? As Pepper would say, we can rest now. Oh, you bastard. (sighs) Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching.